and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 145th take, live from the HF Barcelona studios of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be an incredible show, a fantastic show, a, a show and cigars for the ages. Because remember, everyone, what we do in life echoes in eternity. So we are so excited to be with you tonight. And we're before we get to proper introductions of our guests and proper introductions of tonight's special topic, we do have to thank the people that make this show po possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Unfortunately, Drew Estate announced the cancellation of the upcoming Barn Smoker Live virtual event that was actually supposed to be hosted yesterday due to a recent increase in COVID-19 cases throughout Florida. The virtual Barn Smoker line, li uh, Live event was designated to be broadcast live from the fields of, uh, uh, in Claremont, Florida, featuring members of the Drew Estate team. However, this is why this is incredibly newsworthy, but despite being canceled, Jonathan Drew, president and founder of Drew Estate Notes, is with a heavy cart that we make this decision, but it's clearly the right thing to do in this precarious moment. And But rest assured, the $50,000 that was pledged to Cigars for Warriors is still being paid out, and everyone is still receiving all of their swag for the events, and everything was going out. So they're having a fantastic time uh, getting, all these, getting all the materials out to the people who are going to participate in this, and of course – one thing of note is the $50,000 pledged to Cigars for Warriors is still being donated. And as you may know, we're going to get to tonight's charities here on Ellis Fumar Takes. But last week's uh, charity was actually the Cigars for Warriors as well. So Cigars for Warriors absolutely getting a lot of great attention, especially from our friends at Drew Estate. And tonight's show is also sponsored by Oveja Negra Brands, four unique companies who share a passion to provide innovative cigars for the next generation of cigar enthusiasts. Black Label Trading Company, Blackwork Studio, Dissonant, and Emilio are combining premium tobacco with an artisanal touch. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock and visit ovejanegracigars.com to learn more and welcome everyone this is our 145th take we're gonna we've been on the air for a while now waiting for our third person tonight and so we're gonna go ahead and get ripping rolling and right on time because this is the time it should have started let's just say it right now okay so without further ado uh, my guest tonight sponsored by united cigars smoke one today and start living united Mr. samuel spencer and justin andrews gentlemen how are we doing tonight Doing good, man. Happy to be here. I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Awesome, awesome, gentlemen. I am I'm I'm pumped for this show. I I am I'm pumped that you guys are pumped for this show. Uh, we are going to single-handedly prove to the confused populace population of people that don't understand the greatness of this film why this film is fantastically great. It's just it's going to happen tonight. We're going to convert some souls tonight, gentlemen fantastically great that's uh that's setting the bar pretty high there <laughs> i well i mean nothing less man nothing less i mean seriously you you flew halfway across the country you drove you know to several locations um you know to just just to make it on a to make it on a show just i mean that's how that's how great that's how great this movie is this film is fantastic it did inspire me i i have to say that uh when i got off the plane and and i'm driving home I'm like, I gotta make this work. I gotta make this work. We uh, we gotta be able to talk about this great movie. And I felt like I would have, I would have let you down. I would have let Sam down. I would, you know, I, I would have been like that, 
that soldier going into battle that just, you know, stubbed his toe or something and couldn't make it. So I had to, I had to man up and make sure I got here and made it happen. Yeah. Strength, strength and honor, man. Yeah, way to do strength it. and honor. Strength There's no honor. other way to describe it. Yeah. Strength and honor. So I, without, even though we've already kind of dropped a couple of quotes already in the, in the pre-show and then uh, just right now and everything, I thought, gentlemen, I thought to kind of get us in the mood, um, I would, I would take, a, I would say in a more obscure quote to kind of kick us off. Um, so, and this may seem like a downer considering how, how jacked we all are for this, but I, I, I thought this was appropriate considering just so many ways to kind of look at this and how the movie honestly kind of gets kicked off. And that's from Marcus Aurelius. He says to our main character, I am dying Maximus. And when a man sees his end, he wants to know that there was some purpose to his life. How will the world speak of my name in years to come? Will I be known as the philosopher? The warrior? The tyrant? Or will I be the emperor who gave Rome back to her true self? There once was a dream that was Rome. There was a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper and it would vanish. It was so fragile. I mean, talk about... I mean, talk about words that like, kind of like echo on so many levels to your soul like i mean is justin you oh actually all three of us have seen this recently so justin you saw it probably the most recent you were on the airplane watching this when like when this scene came across and he's explaining like what his vision is for rome after he's dead like what what like what kind of what was your couple first things that came to mind for you man i don't know if it was uh if it was the sleep deprivation for being in miami or, or maybe the rum or maybe all the Cuban coffee, but uh, I got a little emotional, like right out of the gate, which is always a little awkward when you're sitting next to somebody on the plane. Uh, but I was like, crap, he's right. Like <laughs> this really kind of puts things in perspective. Like, you know, what, what kind of legacy are we all going to leave? What, uh, what, you know, what, how are people going to remember us? You start looking back going, did I accomplish everything that, that I should have, did I have the right priorities and I think the, the thing that really stood out to me the most is he was like, I've expanded this empire and, uh, and I've done all this thing for the, for the glory of Rome, but was it all worth it? And so that's, that's, a, I mean, that's a hell of a way to start off a movie there. Yeah, I mean, no, they just they just like have this like epic battle scene, which we'll get into in a second. And then like, he's just all, he's all like, throw, he's all throwing everything into doubt. And it's just like, wow, like, um, Sam, I'll get your thoughts before I kind of weigh into this because there's a couple of things that I wanted to mention. But Sam, well, like what, like when you saw this scene as kind of the tee up, I mean, we just saw this massive battle scene. Like we're already, like I, like I said, the kind of way we went into the show, we were all jacked. I chose this specifically because I was like, this is when the movie really starts because you kind of, the, 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 you know, the door kind of finally opens at that point. Yeah, it's, you jump in this movie, it's this massive battle scene. And then you kind of sit back and Marcus Aurelius says that and you're just like, wow, that was the most profound thing I've heard in a long time. And I've seen this movie before. It just kind of takes you back. It's like, this is the ruler of what is basically the known world at the time. And he's talking about how he wants his legacy to be, to give it back to the people, back to democracy, not how most emperors were just power hungry, wanted to expand and keep everything for themselves 
but he wanted to give back, which it, it shows you into the, the psyche and who Marcus Aurelius was as a person, which is who you'd want leading an empire. Yeah, it's it's interesting that he like there's 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 what I thought what I took away from this quote is that he it it's very telling that he's he's also and it, at the same time it is very emperor-esque because and and, and i don't mean this as as negatively as, as it's about to sound it's very narcissistic right because it's like okay i'm going to give rome back to the people because this is really about me and my legacy and like so, so again that sounds like that sounds terrible but but like that's that's what he's worried about it's like how will the world see everything that i've accomplished in my life um, which I've dedicated my life to leading this, this empire, you know, and, uh, the, the timeline's a little skewed in actual history. He didn't rule for 20 years, but in the film, it's like 20 years and he's like known four years of peace. So, um, we're going to get into some kind of historical what ups here in just a little bit too, which is they're, they're kind of funny to think about when you, after you've seen the movie and stuff, but, um, Richard Harris, man, delivering a winning line right out the gate. Like he, He's in the movie for, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert. There's some people that are, um, you know, never seen the film that are in the chat and he's, he's still watching Sean. Your Sean miles is awesome. But <laughs> so spoiler alert, Marcus Aurelius is, uh, dies uh, pretty early in the film. So I think if we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of a film, like, and you haven't seen it yet, that's kind of on you, Sean. Like, you know, yeah, it's, so it's, I don't think for spoiler alerts us. have passed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's holding it against us. So, um, but yeah, before we kind of get into to the next thing here, I want to just go ahead. I mean, that this is tonight's major point, you know, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, t- as always, uh, you know, the major point is, is brought to you by Wood Butcher, Maine, introducing durable and attractive wooden creations to your kitchens, uh, to your kitchen, backyard grill and home using native Maine wood and other exotic wood species. Wood Butcher, Maine products include butcher blocks, cutting boards, coasters, grill grate cleaners, and anellos from our favorites the Red Oak Cigar Ashtray and Cocktail Cloister, plus many more. The Wood Butcher Mains team passion for food, the pine tree state, and craftsmanship of the highest quality show in absolutely every single piece. Visit woodbutchermain.com. Yes, that's woodbutchermain.com to explore the current collection. So, yes, gentlemen. So, okay, so right off the bat, I, I know I had something out on the outline about, uh, you know, a very popular topic, which is favorite quote here. Um, but I got to ask a question. And as I mentioned before, um, this show, uh, the idea for me doing these shows is grabbing some of my favorite films and some of my favorite people in the industry, um, which uh, Sam is already one of my favorite people because of how well he thinks of this, highly he thinks of this film. So, um, so Justin, you missed that. Sam and I just met. This is the first time we've actually met and we're doing the show mm-hmm. tonight together. So um, how about them apples? Good, good line, deal. Line from another great movie. Um, so... But the the the, the, per, the genesis of of di- doing this show was uh, I did a take eighty eight with Miguel Shodell on the Field of Dreams, the anniversary for the Field of Dreams, and uh, wanted to do something again this year. Um, and so I, I chose Gladiator. It's the twentieth anniversary, as we've all been talking about, which is I can't believe it's been twenty years. So, Justin, where were you when this movie came out? Did you watch this movie in theaters? You know what? I actually don't remember. I'm pretty sure I did. I was, you know, I was 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I'm pretty sure I remember watching this in the theater. And I think, and, and 
there was a group of us guys from uh, from my baseball team, and we had this whole thing, and we went and saw it. I'm pretty. I'm just. I'm not 100% positive, so I I can't you know be complete confident. But I remember seeing the previews, and you know you're a 15 year old kid, and you're like, this is this is the greatest movie. Like these previews, this I, I gotta go see this. And I remember Russell Crowe being like really unknown to me. So like this, when when like when I think of Russell Crowe, this movie was like my first introduction to him. So mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I remember I remember just really looking forward to it. And and I'm pretty sure <laughs> I can't even count how many times I've watched this movie. It's one of those movies like when it's on the TV, you just you can't change the channel. Or when it's on you know the American Airlines app when you're flying, it's like yeah, I gotta I gotta pick that. So. This uh, this movie just it seems like it's never gone away. It's it's I am totally the old man in the group. Uh, so I was in high school. Uh, so I, I I was a couple years older than you, Justin. But I was oh, I I was in high school too. Now now you're really gonna feel old along with me, Justin, because you ready for this, Sam? How old were you when this movie came out? I was three, Bear. I was three. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> But here, here's the winning point. Sam just made it. Sam was three years old when this film came out. We were teenagers, okay? Obviously, people older than us enjoyed this film as well. This movie stands the test of time. Because Sam, I mean, when did you, I mean, when did you first see it? I mean, you, what, when you were our age? Like in our, like 15, 16 years old? Or like your early 20s? Or uh, I, I would say 15, 16, probably somewhere in there. So, I mean, it stands up a generation later. So like, you know, you know, Sam grew up with cell phones and Facebook and, you know, things of that nature in his life and everything like where they talk about the generational gap of appreciation in certain aspects and everything. This whatever whatever argument want to have on that regard, like this movie stands the test of time. So that I think that right there. I mean, yeah, we could rag on your age, Sam, but I think that right there is like the winning point, though, about this film. You know, I totally agree. And I'm looking at, I made a list of my top six favorite movies to just have a reference. So I'm not rattling around in my brain. And the most recent one was 08. Okay. So like I'm not, I'm trying not to oh, pick. Wow. I wasn't intentionally trying not to pick recent movies, but it's like, wow, 2008. I was not old in 2008. Sam, Sam you're a good dude, brother. I got to tell you, this is the first time in my decade in this cigar industry that I've probably not been the youngest person on a, on a show. So this is uh, this is an odd feeling for me. Well, Sam's used to, Sam's used to hosting a show for, uh, you know, off the record with the, um, for, Mc, for McAuliffe cigars and everything. So he's used to not answering questions. So this is kind of weird for him too. So we're, we're all kind of in a weird position. I'm used to also not being the oldest guy in the room. I'm, uh, unless, you know, unless when I'm having John Carney uh, on the show, uh, vice president of La Florida Minicana, uh, who, um, who also is younger than me. So I, I, I always, my quote always was when I talk to him, I still, I'm still trying to wonder what I'm doing with my life, but uh, apparently I'm watching great movies like gladiator. So um, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Matt Tice says he has a kid older than you, Sam. I don't believe you for a second, Matt. I think that's a lie, but that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> oh man. Well, so let's, I mean, let's kick off the subject uh, to, to take, let's kick off the subject with uh an oldie but a goodie, which is always like discussing like, and we've already done a couple of them already, but like your favorite quote from the film. So I've got a couple of submissions um, and I've already said one of them, um, but 
I mean, what, what, I mean, for like every kid that graduated from high school from 2000 to 2006, their fucking yearbook quote was what we do in life echoes in eternity. And the way he says it, um, and this is, we're going to get into his character in just a second. It's, it's complete dead seriousness off of like his halftime speech, if you will, like his, like his, his pregame speech that he gives is like full of humor. Cause he's talking about leading men to their death. And he's like, Hey, if you find you're in a sunny field with the, you know, sun on your back, do not fear for you're an Elysium and you're dead. And everyone's freaking laughing their head off. They're going to die in a couple seconds, but no better, no big deal. Cause we're following Maxidus. And then he, and then for the people who are living, he leaves them these parting words before they go into battle. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Uh, just, oh, God, it gets me every time. And, of course, the amazing scene when he sees Commodus for the first time since, you know, since being betrayed by him. And he takes off the helmet. He's sweaty from this, you know, this gladiator battle. And he turns around. And in that gravelly voice that is only Russell Crowe says, father to a murdered son husband to a murdered wife and i will have my my vengeance in this life or the next like it's pre uh, precipitated by you know the introduction of his name my name is maximus decimus meridius general of the armies of the north and commander of the felix legions and then he goes into that bit about who he has who he is his actual person and i just oh and I, every time I eat it up, I'm glued to the screen. I don't want anyone talking to me. I don't want to, I, I don't even breathe, I think, from that moment. And uh, it's, it's just epic. So, uh, um, Justin, you're, you're honors here. What, what, what are your, what are your, some of your submissions? Well, first off, Barry, you do one hell of a table read, man. I, I, I don't know if you need to maybe jump on some auditions here at some point for something, because that was, uh, you were drawing me right back into the movie there. So, so bravo for you. <laughs> I, I love this film, man. I love this film. So, so, so going back to the first part of the movie, I, th I think, you know, it started off great. And, and like you said, he's got guys laughing before they go into battle. One of the things that I really liked about the first part of the movie is that Caesar realized what a colossal piece of shit his son is. I thought that was pretty admirable too. Like, cause we all know, a, we all know a lot of, a lot of people out there that uh, are colossal pieces of shit and their parents don't, don't think that. So to me, that really stood out to me. I'm like, Man, that's a good dude right there. <laughs> um, the uh, but my my you know again you've got the some of the ones some of the quotes are layups like I mean bear right around this movie when it came out everybody was going you know are you not entertained yes you know and so like I forget we had this this third baseman on my team and he hit a walk off home run and and a little jerk when he crossed home plate he's like are you not entertained so so oh that's my god like, that's epic. That's like that's like an easy one, but I, I think my favorite quote of the movie is uh, is at the very end, and I can't pronounce. It's, is it Juba, or that uh, I forget his name? The 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 guy that was uh, Russell Crowe's partner, Jimon Hansu. You're talking about Jimon yes. Hansu, yeah, Juba, yeah, Juba. And when he goes, you know, I will see you soon, but not yet. Like to me, that was that was cool. And earlier in the movie, when he told him, you know, he said, "My family is waiting for me," and he said, "You will see them in the afterlife." but not yet. Like to me, that was, that's the quote that stood out to me uh, from the movie was, was not yet. It's really? like, you have an unfinished business. So not yet. I, I, I love that pick, man. That's like, that's, 
that's like really obscure, but it's like it, it it's it, it again, it's like it weaves itself throughout the story about how, you know, and, and and I mean, it, I mean, it kind of goes outside the film too. how you can say it like to yourself, like there there's so much there's so much left undone. And, you know, with Marcus Aurelius talking about legacy, you know, legacy is something that, you know, continues after you're gone. And, and that's Jaiman Hansu just like picking that up and rolling with it. Um, great pick, man. I love it. I love that. That's awesome. Sam, what about you? I can't believe this. I wrote down three and you guys have taken two of them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay which okay so he took he, he was one of them and then what was what was the one you, of mine that you liked the my name is maximus decimus oh i mean just the fear he strikes in commodus's eyes at that moment is it, it's priceless you can't you can't not just stare at the screen and watch that happen oh like every he's he has this like perplexed look on his face like he has no idea what the fuck is going on and quintus is also there you know, his second command, he takes a step back to, and it's just, oh God, it's, it's, it's the best inter- reintroduction in a film like ever. It's, oh, yeah. it's awesome. And when like Quintus has got to have that look on his face was like, I'm screwed. I told yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're going to, we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> so what's your, th- what's your third pick? Great tea up there. Great tea up, Sam. That's My third awesome. pick was actually. My third pick was actually Gracchus when he walks into the gladiatorial games for the first time because he only watches one match and he says, I don't pretend to be a man of the people, but I do try to be a man for the people. I love that line. And he's telling, he's telling it to this other Senator who mm-hmm. is kind of on Commodus's side. Yeah. It's sold a sellout. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Great. Yeah. Great, great pick. Great. Yeah. That no, a, that, that that's, that's solid. That's, that's solid. You know, of course, there's there's always there's always these these other ones like, you know, uh, we'll get into Proximo here in a second, but like we we men are but shadows and dust, um, you know. You there know. are some funny Proximo ones too. Pro- Proximo is what? Yeah, we're gonna get into Proximo here in a little bit. Like he's he's got some he's got some great lines, and and, and like Oliver Reed like totally dials it up in this film. Like he just goes he goes all out like great great and actually literally goes all out because he actually dies before the end of this film. <laughs> But uh, I mean, just just some some great lines in in this in this movie. Um, Gracchus has also another funny moment for me. He's like, so after you after the whole of Rome is yours and you've captured this, you'll just give it back to the people. And Maximus is sitting down like in the most non intimidating pose ever. He's like, yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna do. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, this isn't about you, man. Like, I, I I have a higher purpose here. I'm trying to like avenge my family um so <laughs> what was the line there was there, i had a couple like honorable mention ones there was one where Krakus said you're you're uh as always the most delicate touch commands the commands obedience yeah. obedience yeah. like that was that was a pretty good line too that kind of jumped out to me yeah i mean there there's some, i think that's what's really great about this film is like like we all know the ones that like we we chanted a battle crier they play it like basketball games like in between timeouts and stuff and like right up there with like the hoosiers clap and all this other stuff that they play at like sporting events there's like all these cutaways but like i i think that i think that our choices actually prove like again show the timelessness of this film that like there's so many things that like you can just pick up and grab there are 
they make the movie go and they're also applicable to like one's own life like um absolutely so it's 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 pretty awesome so so great 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 picks there so i'm, I'm gonna there is one audible that i wanted to call i didn't get it in time for you to know show notes but i think this will be kind of good to get your kind of authentic response to this so um so if you guys didn't know this um someone turned the someone turned this role down it wasn't supposed to go to russell crowe and so real quick before i just spoil do you, do you know who it is i think justin does justin's got it no, I, I was just confident, and then I just lost it. I I thought it was um, what's it? The guy who plays Wolverine there for a minute, but I think I got that confused with another another role. Well, actually, it's flip flop. So Russell Crowe was offered Wolverine. That okay? There you go. And he turned it down because he he felt like it was going to be the same character, which I was like, oh, okay, but that's yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> I think he would have been a badass Wolverine, but um, I, I love Hugh Jackman though. I'm not I'm not trying to knock it. Sam, do you know who it was? I, no, I have no idea who it was. it was. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson turned it down. Oh. So it was originally given. It was originally. It was originally offered to Mel Gibson. He turned it down. Said that Mel felt that he was too old, because he was like 40, 45, 40, 43, 45, something like that at the time. And, and he felt that he was too old for it. Um. I got to say, younger Mel Gibson may have may have pulled this off. So I'm totally stealing this question from the show that I, what I like to listen to, the rewatchable. So they ask, is there any other actor in any other point of history that you would like to see play this character? Well, I think the easy, the, like one of the easy things is uh, Gerard Butler, because he played in 300, which I think is kind of, you know, there's, right. there's like a similar thing there. So I think probably both of them are interchangeable. Like one, Gerard could have probably played Gladiator as well as Russell Crowe uh, uh, played that. So I think that's that's an easy one. Uh, I think Mel Gibson, man, that would have been pretty cool. Um, like a young Mel Gibson, like like, like a young yeah, like Lethal Weapon two Mel Gibson. Mm. Which who, you know, that's, that's a really good question. Who who could have? Oh, that is really a great been. question, man. You know, I I don't know why I know this random fact, but Mel Gibson was in The Patriot that same year. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah no no it's no it's true because I I think like it actually guys like it's a f funny story that you mentioned that Sam so I wanted to do the 20th anniversary of film and I, I really I I really struggled with this should I do Gladiator should I do the Patriot and I was like oh the Patriot it's right around election season that's just too on the nose <laughs> like I was like and I love the Gladiator yeah. so like like we're doing the gladiator and, but I love the Patriot too. Like that's another, that's another film that we could go back. I, I do bring up someone from the Patriot here in a, in a little bit when we talk about another character. Um, I, I, and, and the, and the guys in the, the guys that do the rewatchable podcast, I, they couldn't come up with anybody either. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anybody like I, like Hugh Jackman, like I said, like that could have, that could have worked. Um, like, Maybe, maybe Javier Bardem, but I, I, I don't know. I think he's a little, I think he's a little too dark. Like I think Matt, little, Matt has a good thing in the comic. Idris Elba, that would have been interesting to see. Oh, that would have okay. Been cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can, okay. I could get with that. That, I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. I, I like that. 
If somebody well, says da- if somebody says Daniel Craig, I'm leaving the show immediately. Well, like, I, I can't, well now I, you're I, teeing it up, Justin. Someone's gonna say it. <laughs> Don't leave the show. Don't leave the show. Okay? Someone's gonna say it. After, after you and Coop's uh, uh, James Bond conversation, I yeah, I was like, this is I've had enough of this. Hey, we we Daniel agree. Sean, Sean Connery's the best man. That, I mean, it's, it's all everyone always measures up to that standard. So it's all it's all from there. What if you go with like a like a Bruce Willis, a young Bruce Willis? See, I think it, and it's interesting you mentioned Bruce Willis because Bruce Willis has that kind of he has that subtle humor about within his acting in action films, and there's moments that that's what I love about Maximus's character, is that he's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Like he he's 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 got these little smirks and these little smiles. Like when he's talking to Jaime Hansu, he's like, "Hey, what are you, what are you saying to your what are you saying to your family?" He's yeah. like, "Oh, I'm telling my boy to keep his heels down when he's riding into my wife. That's none of your business." Like <laughs> like like. I mean, he's just funny and he's joking with his man before he leads him to the death. Like, Hey, don't worry about it. You're in heaven. It's all good. Um, what about, what about a young Kevin Costner? I'm thinking of like the, you know, like back in the Robin hood days, that might've been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, if he's got the edge to do it, but. <laughs> and see, Field of Dreams is my favorite film, but I think Kevin, and with all just like all respect to him, like, I think he's too soft. Like even in his like most badass, like he he's, I, I think he's a little soft. Like, yeah. Like, That's fair. I don't think like I don't I can't picture myself like following Kevin Costner into the Roman Coliseum to face dudes with tritons. You know, I just <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I just I don't I don't I don't see it. But I mean, it's a really good question. And it, it really poses a great question. I think Matt uh, from the chat has a great I think that's the best answer that I've heard. Idris Elba is probably uh, I, the. I can't think of anything better than Idris Elba. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a tough one to tough one to beat. So I, I kind of, I, I, for those people who, you know, I, I always kind of like to read, I, I, I like reading movie descriptions, like after you've seen them a thousand times and then you boil it down to like brass tacks. So this is the IMD, IMDB official, like, what is this film about in like a couple sentences, right? A former Rome, Roman general sets out to extract vengeance against the corrupt emperor who murdered his family and sent him into slavery. Wow. It's not even accurate. That's not even accurate. <laughs> Very took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I mean, they have the they have the synopsis. Like IMDb had the synopsis from a line in the movie when Commodus says, "This is a great story." You know, um, the general who became a slave, the slave who became a gladiator, yes. the gladiator who defied an emperor, like. Those are incomplete sentences if we're going to get like grammar police on it, but who gives a shit? That's a way better description than what I just read. Yes, absolutely. So um, if when you were talking, assuming that my, my podcast tonight consumed your lives even a little bit and you were talking to people about it, like, how are you describing this film to people when you were talking about it? Or how are you describing your affection for this film when you were describing it? Like to people like, Hey, this is what I'm doing on Sunday night. I'm going to sit with this guy named bear and we're going to talk about gladiator and then blah, 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 blah. Like what was the blah, blah, blah after that? Well, for me, a lot of the people I'm talking to were in, you know, around my age, we were three when that came out. It's like, are you kidding me? You've never seen Gladiator? It's like, this is the, for lack of a better term, I'm stealing this from Honest Trailers, but it's like, it's the Sword and Sandals movie 
that made sword and sandals movies great again yes like from since back in like ben-hur spartacus it brought that back and then after this came out we got like four or five really crappy sword and sandals movies trying to live up to gladiator yeah like i mean let's i mean it just all went downhill when colin farrell was alexander the great so i mean that that was just that was it that was like we jumped off a cliff that was just just shit a lot of people knock on troy i liked troy i like troy too i thought troy was pretty good i liked it yeah not on definitely not on this level obviously but like like i was like oh yeah it was good it was like they got a lot of they got a lot of you know facts right and stuff and and made the action scenes were pretty you know pretty epic and everything mm-hmm. but i mean after seeing this movie it was kind of like it was almost like expected like this this should be yeah. this should be good right yeah. i think that's why you know i think that's what i think that's troy's downfall is it came after this yeah so just what about said too high yeah, I think so. Justin, what about you? Like, what were you when you were telling <laughs> you're telling your 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 lady friend about this? Or I know you were hanging out with Jack Taranio this weekend too. Like, what, what were you saying? Well, well, first off, I got I got to let you know, Eric Espinosa is a little little mad at you. Oh. So. Uh, oh no. So so today we're hanging out in the in the warehouse after La Zona Palooza and we're smoking. We do a little video uh, that's on Eric's page, kind of announcing our our new collaboration. And uh, he and Junior was giving me a ride to the airport, and, and Eric's like, "Bro, what time you wait? Let me get my scrub. Bro, what time you gotta leave?" And I was like, "Well, my flight's at six thirty, so you know, whatever, five thirty, this and that." I said, "But man, I hope I make it back in time." I said, "I have to do Bear Show tonight," um, and he was like, "Oh yeah." He said, like, "You talking about Warzone?" And I said, "I'm sure I'll find some spots to, you know, uh, promote it." I said, "But we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of of the Gladiator," and he goes. Really? And I was like, yeah. And it just kind of threw me off. And I'm like, what's up? He's like, bro, you know, my fucking dog's name is Maximus. My bulldog's name is Maximus. Gladiator's my favorite movie of all time. And I was like, oh, and I was like, download the movie. He's like, stop downloading the movie. I'll answer any question you have. Go. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, exactly Eric, like I was like, awesome. Eric, that's not the point is I'm watching the movie on the plane. And he's like, bro, fuck watching the movie. I am the movie. Like I have all the answers to everything. Go. So like I'm pulling up your email and we're like talking about everything. So dude, but he kept going back, like, does Bear know my dog's name is Maximus? And I was like, I don't know, Eric, because I honestly I didn't even know your dog's name was Maximus. Like I, I know you're the alpha dog. And I was a little confused because I thought maybe your dog was called the alpha dog. <laughs> this, he, he was like, Bro, I'm an encyclopedia on the gladiator. So anyway, that was that's how my conversation went. Oh, so uh, you, you sorry, might have put, to give Eric. I am. I'm, I am. I'm going to put you in a, do- a tough spot. I'm sorry for that. No, I, 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 I remember. I remember that it was it was a, a film that he really enjoyed. I did remember that. Um, I also remembered that. Um, now that you say it, I remember that his that his dog was name was Maximus. Um, if if you had if you put if you had put me on the spot, I would have answered it because then obviously with context clues, but. Um, if you had just asked me like like two weeks ago, I, I probably would have flubbed it. Um, but no, I remember I remember this having this conversation. So that's awesome, man. Well, um, well, ho- well. Hopefully, for the number one fan of Gladiator, hopefully we do him justice tonight by you know our discussion. So well, I told him to watch, man. I told him to watch and jump in the comments, and we could you know have a little interaction. I don't know. It may- he may be a little exhausted from uh, yeah two yeah. days of Lazona. I was gonna say. I was gonna say for sure. 
uh, we're definitely going to be getting to uh, to Warzone here in a little bit as well. So, um, but I, I wanted to, I did want to talk about, I wanted to talk about how how incredibly well this this film did at the 2001 Oscars. This film came out in 2000, but it was you know the 2001 Oscars. So it was nominated for 12, 12 Oscars. Okay, and we're going to get to the nominees in a second. But here here's what it won for. It won for Best Picture. Best Actor, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, and Best Visual Effects. Best Effects. So those five, okay? So we're, like I said, we'll get to the nominations here in a second because I have some – but I wanted, to, I wanted to pick apart two of these. So Best Picture, I wanted to see how this holds up, like, in history, right? So, okay, here are the other nominees. This, this is before they, they had, like, the ten nominees – and so like, you're just like, you're just drowning in like films and like, there's like, literally it's like, it's like the participation trophy of the Oscars, you know, by the time, like it kind of gets done with it. But so there's, so Gladiator is nominated, by the way, I don't know how Patriot isn't nominated in this, Sam, to your point yeah. from earlier, I, but it's not. It's shock a lot. Crouching Tiger. <laughs> Tra- crouch- <Sorry. laughs> right. Okay. So my point, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Aaron Brockovich and Traffic. So like those are all really like like Aaron Brockovich, like great great dramatic, like great scripts, like great acting performance by Julia Roberts. Mediocre. You know, but like overall, like I know overall I would say like a me- yeah, a mediocre film. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like shit. artistic, but I, I wouldn't say shit, but it was like artistic, but that was like, yeah, it was like, it was that it was really just kind of just like an art, very artistic film. I don't know. Have you seen, have you seen it, Sam? Crouch no, Tiger? I'm be honest with you. I haven't seen any of those other movies. I'm, I'm just what? shocked that the Patriot's not on there. I, right? Saying that it's artistic is very polite, Barry. That's, <laughs> that's a very polite well, way of saying absolute shit. Well, like, I mean, this had to be the easiest. This is what I'm, this is my point. Like even like traffic got a lot of high praise that year and I'm not a big traffic fan. Like I didn't, I thought like, I think Edwards Vick did a great job of directing it. But like, other than that, like, I just like, he had, he had incredible tools. He had incredible, he had an incredible cast. Like, how do you not put something good on the screen when you have like that much talent on it? But like, other than that, like, like how was this not the slam dunks of all slam dunks? Like, like the academy got together and was like, "All right, you glad, 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 gladiator. All right, yeah, like done. Like it had to be." Um, I, I, I mean, if this hadn't won against these other nominees, I would have just probably lost my shit. Chocolate, <laughs> chocolate. Right? <laughs> now the other That's one I so wanted cool. to discuss. Okay, so Russell Crowe wins for best actor. Like, now we're going to talk about Maximus throughout this podcast, but like for you know for all intents and purposes, like these are, this is a pretty good lineup that he goes up against. So Tom Hanks Castaway, I mean, he is the movie. I mean, how does he not get nominated? Right. Like, how was that one? Not best picture. Castaway. Yeah. Well, those other ones that yeah. were nominated for best picture. Right. Right. How was that one? Not nominated. I, I guess chocolate just, you know, had a notch with Castaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now here's here's another performance again that uh, iconic performance, polar polarizing film made people some like Ed Harris in Pollock. 
like so again great great performance by an actor um and i i thought a good film uh, you know a nice bio film right not not bad ed harris is is i mean he's top notch man ed ed is he's one of those guys that's obviously a list i haven't seen him in a long time but you kind of forget about ed harrison and his his career and the, the the work he's done man he's done some great films we're gonna go before Sam's birthday on this, but my my favorite Ed Her- my two favorite Ed Harris roles are like almost back to back. He's the he's the general in The Rock, Francis Hummel, and then he's also he's Gene Krantz, the flight director uh, for Apollo NASA 13. And, uh, Apollo thirteen. Yes. Um, yeah, great performances. Sam, I'm gonna, I feel like we're gonna be doing this a bunch tonight. Have you seen any of those films? <laughs> No, you haven't seen Apollo 13? See Apollo 13, man. I'm telling oh, you. Apollo 13? Oh, I've seen Apollo 13. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so, and then Jeffrey Rush for Quills, which I've got to be honest, never seen Quills. Jeffrey Rush, good actor, though. Yeah. And Javier Bardem before the night falls. So this is Javier Bardem before he's actually Javier Bardem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and so this is like his, like, which is, that's pretty impressive. But like, I mean, Russell Crowe had a little bit of how he had, he had to duke it out with some good actors there, you know. Remind me, who is Jeffrey Rush again? What has he been? I'm, I'm drawing a blank so there. Jeffrey Rush was uh, was uh, Lionel in uh, a King Speech. He was oh. in uh, the P- Pirates of the Caribbean um, gotcha. series. Gotcha. He was oh god, what's his name in Pirates of the Caribbean series? He's oh um, Barbosa. Barbosa in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Um, thanks, Sam, for the for the put back there. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, and he's I mean, well before that, but I mean, those are a couple of like his most recent like iconic uh, iconic roles and stuff. And uh, um, so those are those are the be- the best actors. So like, here are the ones they were he was the the they were nominated for. Okay, the awards that they were nominated for. So the additional uh, seven. Okay, so best costume design, best sound. Um, oh no, excuse me. They won for that. Excuse me. They won for best costume design and best sound. Excuse me. My apologies. These were the, what they were nominated for. Okay. We're going to pause on this one, but we're going to get to the other ones. Best actor in a supporting role. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated and didn't win. Ooh. I, I don't he get did a phenomenal job. Okay. We've spent the entire podcast so far talking about Maximus pretty much. And Mark's really here, Richard Harris, because, you know, it's Richard Harris. He's like iconic. But how, like, be, I, before I read anybody else, it doesn't matter. Like, okay, so here's the question before I get to the nominees real quick. I want to ask you guys, is there a villain that you reviled more in watching all the films that you've ever seen than Commodus? No, absolutely not. There's villains I've liked more, but there's never there's never been a villain that I was like I absolutely hate that guy more than Commodus. It's it, and Joaquin Phoenix is kind of this. Not to be politically correct, he's kind of an odd dude, and he's playing an odd dude, and he just fit the role perfectly, and just rolled with it. Justin, your thoughts? I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm I'm just sitting here as you as you ask that question. I'm I'm going through the old Rolodex here and nothing's popping out. I can't, but I, I can't picture another villain that I hate, but I absolutely hated Joaquin Phoenix in this role. 
hate, I mean, I, that the character, obviously communist, I, it's so funny. It, it, it brings out so much passion and like anger, which obviously is a testament to his, his uh, portrayal mm -hmm. of that character, but he did such a phenomenal job and he was, he was just, Oh my God. He, he, he was so unlikable. It was phenomenal. He did a great job, but I absolutely hated him. And I can't think, I'm trying to think of another movie that, <laughs> that inspires that much hate. And I can't right off the top of my head. I can't think of one. He did such a, such a phenomenal job. So there is only one other villain that I can think of. There are actually two, two villains that I want to mention um, here that inspired hate. So um, the first one is uh, Denzel Washington and training day. So I'm, I am, I am the biggest Denzel Washington fan. Like mm -hmm. I, I love, I love Denzel Washington and for, and the span of a film, Denzel Washington made me hate him, which it, like you said, Justin is a testament to the acting chops there, but even, even it, you know, even at his worst in that role as, as Alonzo, like I, I, I didn't revile him the way that I reviled Commodus. The next villain is actually came out the same year. Sam's already mentioned it. Jason Isaacs as Colonel William Tavington in the Patriot. But here's why, here's why Joaquin Phoenix wins. Because Jason Isaacs already looks like someone who would stab your 15-year-old son anyway. Like, he just has that evil look about him already. Like, Joaquin Phoenix, like, if you just saw the dude on the street, you'd probably think, like, what Sam just said. Like, oh, pretty odd-looking dude. Like, whatever. But Commodus, in the span of 15 minutes in the film makes a move on his sister, kills his father, manipulates his entire empire, um, and kills who he thinks, he thinks he kills Maximus, and not only kills Maximus, to totally goes like Andy Garcia in Ocean's Eleven and like fucks with his family and destroys his whole family and his, and his property too. Like, that's the first 15 minutes of this guy like being in power, like, holy fuck. Like he, and, and what he does for the rest of the film too, I just like every step of the way, every action, every time he's on screen, you hate him more and more. More. Yeah. Yes. And he has this, he has this almost weakness, this quality of, of where he's just like the, the whiny little brat that doesn't get his way. And then he goes home and cries to his, you know, his sister. Yeah. And so again, in some of these other, these other films, the villain had some strength, had some where you're like, Hey, I don't like this dude. He's, he's a bad cat, but like, I wouldn't want to meet this guy in a dark alley. Like when, when you yeah. see Commodus, like I'm watching this film, I'm literally going like, I would love to have the opportunity to whoop this dude's ass. Like yeah. he's such a piece of shit, <laughs> which again is great because every, every frame, every scene, I'm just like, I, you hate this guy more and more and it becomes more creepy, more whiny, more bitchy, yeah. more just, just like a, just, he's a scumbag, but it's perfect. It's so perfect because all the emotion that you get from Maximus and all the love and the, the heroic, you know, behavior. And then it's like, you got this guy on it. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. 
I, I just I go back to that line when he like and when after uh he after Maximus refuses to kill the Tigress of Gaul, and then they the cutaway to when Commodus is back in his chambers with his sisters, like, and now they love Maximus for his mercy. <laughs> like, you fucking little bitch, man. Like, oh my god. Like you, oh god, oh you're a disgusting human being. I just oh uh, every time you're defeated in some small way, it's it's awesome. But See, like I think go ahead, please. I think that's the difference between I think it's Tavington and the Patriot and Commodus is Tavington's this ruthless killer and you hate him, but he's not this little bitch that goes and cries to his sister. Right, right. <laughs> that's the difference between the two. Yeah. All right. So uh Matt Ty's dying, he's on the edge of a seat. Who won the best supporting actor that year? So um let me just go through the nominees. So Albert Finney, great actor, but he was nominated for Aaron Brockovich. Willem Dafoe, Shadow of the Vampire, which also great actor. Got to be honest, yeah. never seen the film. So um, Jeff Bridges in The Contender, like oh. underrated film. But yeah, I mean, again, we're comparing it to communists. But who wins? Who beats out Joaquin Phoenix as the worst villain of all time? Or best, depending on the way you look at it. Benicio Del Toro in Traffic wins the uh, Best Supporting Actor. I, I, I don't even like. I don't even know what to say. Like, like, it, couldn't have we just fast forwarded through time and just given him the award for Sicario and then just given this to Juanqui, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix like it was supposed to happen? Like, come on. I, I can only think of one actor in one role that would beat out Joaquin Phoenix for best supporting actor, not villain. Right. But just best supporting actor no, for both. Okay. And it's Heath Ledger in the dark Knight, but that's the only one I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good close. Like that's a and Heath Ledger won it, you know, posthumously, obviously. Yeah. And, and, and he well-deserved, especially that, uh, you know, that year. And, and, and in any cases, like, that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting argument. I, I don't know, man. I just, yeah, communist just like will always be the worst villain for me. Just, just it's, it's a very different role too because it's like you, you reviled, you hated communists, but with the Joker, you're like, man, part of me kind of roots for this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think, but I think that's why I think that's why communist still wins, like over Joker. Yeah. And then ironically, mm. Joaquin Phoenix plays the Joker in recently in the film The Joker. Mm -hmm. It's just. Full, full circle, small world. Um, also nominated, Ridley Scott gets nominated, doesn't win. I didn't want to pick apart that one, but Sam mentioned something uh, at the very top of the show that I want to get to. Best writing screenplay, nominated, didn't win. Um, best cinematography, which I don't know how that didn't win. Best film editing, didn't win. Here it is. Best score by Hans Zimmer, didn't win. Oh, wow. I I routinely just listen to the soundtrack like when I'm like running and uh, I will tell you this that's one other thing Espinosa threw in at the end he was like bro I listen to that soundtrack every night when I go to sleep he said because Maximus is over here snoring he's like I'm on my phone I'm like playing games or whatever he said and then I hit on my iTunes the soundtrack to Game of Thrones and I fall asleep and I was like you're lying he's like show me on his phone so that right I mean 
a soundtrack from a movie 20 years ago, which also was a, the the ending little score there, which is which was a little odd, I think. Yeah. But but yeah, that that's that kind of lets you know how impactful the uh, the soundtrack is from this movie that people are still listening to it 20 years ago, 20 oh, years I later. Listen to it while I was studying in college. This is because it would go up and it would just get you hype as hell right away mm-hmm. with that first battle. And then it kind of calmed down and you start studying again. The next battle would kind of wake you up again. <laughs> and I'm just picturing the movie in my head while I'm trying to study. So maybe it wasn't the wisest choice, but I don't think there's not one better in my opinion. Like Hans Zimmer is a, is a accomplished composer and he's done incredible films. Like he's, he's, I mean, his, his resume is, is pretty long and distinguished. Um, but I think like, like this has to be like, I wish I could ask, I want to ask Hans, I wish I could ever, ever have the opportunity to ask Hans this question. Like, is this the one that got away? Like, are you like, are you pissed off about this still? Cause I would be, cause all right. So here are the nominees. <laughs> Chocolat. <laughs> <laughs> and the Patriot, which also has a, a decent soundtrack, but doesn't compare to the gladiator in my opinion, but the winner of the best score was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I got to say, that was the one forgettable thing about the film. Like, I didn't hate it as much as Justin obviously did. But, like, that was the one thing that was, like, forgettable to me. It was like, I was like, I, don't, I couldn't, for the life of me, I couldn't recognize it. If someone played Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon soundtrack right now, like, I couldn't recognize it. That's right. Yeah. But, the, I mean, the score was so good that Hans Zimmer basically reused a large chunk of it in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like right. if you listen to the fight scene from, I think it's the Battle of Carthage is when it happens. It's like the main part of Pirates of the Caribbean that you remember. Yes. Yeah. It, it was so good that he reused it in another very popular movie and everyone loved it again. And and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like throwbacks to it like man on fire denzel washington they use part of the soundtrack like there's there there are films throughout the next 20 years that use like and are are used part of it or are clearly influenced by Hans zimmer with this like like it it it, i think it's the best i think it's the best soundtrack like the best soundtrack ever like i i I really like i was thinking about this i was like i i really just i can't think of yeah, what's better? That that's the thing. Even if somebody doesn't agree, like what what's better? And I was thinking the same thing. Like I'm trying to go through again the Rolodex, and I'm like, I I can't like this is, I can't think of of one that's better. Yeah, I think there's like parts of some that maybe like more iconic, like the opening to Star Wars, for example. But it's like the rest of Star Wars doesn't compete with Gladiator. It's like they've got that one opening thing. But Gladiator keeps going with just great composition after great composition. It's, it's the best. All right. So, and then the la- the twelfth nomination that they didn't get was uh, best art direction, set decoration, um, which I thought they did a great job with Ancient Rome. Like you said, swords and sandals really hadn't done much in the way of film, and for them to kind of for you know, and this was an expensive film to make. This was like it, okay, so twenty years ago. It, it was over a hundred million dollars to make this film. Oh, wow. And the last three and a half million spent that put them over the edge over a hundred million. Cause I think it was 103, literally like 103 million. The last three and a half million dollars 
was to uh, was to make sure that Oliver Reed, who died during the during the making of this film, they could do the last few scenes using technology to get him into the film. That was the last three and a half million bucks. Um, I didn't realize Oliver Reed had died during the making of this film. That's yeah. man. Wow. Yeah, there, there's a there's a poignant scene, and that kind of leads us into our next point. So, um, so show of hands, I think I think this one's kind of clear and obvious, but I, I hope uh, you guys all saw my notes, so you saw my second pick. Um, but can we all agree, like favorite character, like favorite cleric for, from the film Maximus is like hands down, like that's our number one, number one. Okay, all right, yeah, we've been talking about him like the entire time. So yeah, I, f- I figured. Uh, I you've seen mine, you've seen my my selection in there. I hope I didn't step on anyone's toes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go last on this. Um, but I, uh, Justin, I wanted to say who's, who's, who's the next guy or gal, um, that's your favorite character from this film. <sighs> that's, you know, that's tough. Proximo had a, you know, he, he had a big role. I really liked, uh, really liked what he brought to the table. Um, you know, Juba, he, he was good in, in, in limited capacity, but I think he was impactful there. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, the, the thing that was, that was funny is is there was a lot of people I think were overshadowed in the movie, but yet they would have their little moments of 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 mm-hmm. where they kind of captured the that that moment in the film. Um, yeah, it's just it's interesting in that way. There there was there wasn't a lot of balance, obviously, based on the screenplay, but there were people that really, when they had their moment, did a did a phenomenal job and it impacted the film. They rocked it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sam, did you did you have anyone else other than Maximus? I mean, Maximus is the clear number one, no question. And it's interesting in the film; it's like Maximus, Commodus, these these two towering figures, but you absolutely hate one of them, so it can't be him. But I don't. I think Juba has some very key points when they're standing on the roof talking, and he's talking about how he, Maximus is talking about how he lost his family, and Juba says he he will see his family in the afterlife but he will be there a lot sooner and he'll have to wait. And then you fast forward to the, it comes full circle at the end where, when he says, and now we are free. And he's talking about Maximus. I will see you again, but not yet, not yet. Mm-hmm. I, I, it has to be him for me. Yeah, the, the, re, the repetition of the not yet, not yet um, is really kind of, it really kind of sits with me because it's, it, it kind of gives, I don't know, it kind of like, that, this, this may sound really overdramatic, but it kind of gives me pause to like, think like, like there there's so much more left to do you know there's just so much more left to do and you know and you know we the thing about life is you know when none of us know exactly when our, our time comes but you know it's it's you know it's it, that line in particular says like this is the the opportunity to make the most of it you know right, right. um the uh the the idea that uh, maximus chooses his his time to seek vengeance whatever that's fine but you know like you know but i, I mean it, it it's it transcends the film so i i, I you know like jimon hansu like goes on for the rest like he, the rest of his acting career he's had some like really good performances and everything but mm-hmm. i think like this is like i think like this is tim at his at his peak like like i don't think he has another a character that impacts as much as this one or even close Which to i think it, it's right? kind, i think it's kind of sad too to be honest with you because he did such a good job in this role that you would expect that his trajectory, you know, in, in, in film would have gone on to do some, some bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that, that was surprising, but I think 
to your earlier point, Bear, this movie does evoke that kind of thoughtfulness and that emotion of like, you know, again, it's, it's a little tongue in cheek, but you do look at it and, and, you, and you think about it like, hey, you know, there's still unfinished business. There's honor, there's loyalty, there's, there's purpose driven activity, you know, um, and there's good versus bad. And, and yeah, I mean, this, this movie does evoke a lot of emotion like that, I think. Absolutely. So you guys saw my pick. Um, and I mean, but there are a lot of like really great characters. Like I think Richard Harris as Marcus Aurelius, like he's in the movie for 15 minutes and like, he has like winning line after winning line. I mean, like it just bats a thousand, which is just what, I mean, how he didn't get also nominated for best supporting actor. I don't know. Like, cause you can do that. Like there's several films in history that have gotten, had two best supporting actors nominated. Um, like I thought he was incredible. Um, when I first heard, I, I, when I first heard that someone had died during the making of this film, like I remember very early on, like thinking it was Richard Harris and I was like, Oh, that's really sad. But no, it was Oliver Reed and Oliver Reed's my picks, my pick like Proximo to me is one of the best characters in this film. He like, I, the things I love about Maximus, you know, he's this, this, I mean, powerful figure, this, he captures the screen like every time that he's in it. And the, to me, the only one, the only person that stacks up to Maximus, the only person that commands your attention in this in, in on the screen when it's shared with him, ironically is Proximo. Like mm-hmm. Oliver Reed is just going like right. pedal to the metal in this film. He's like over the top. Like, like I didn't pay, I didn't pay for you for your company. I paid for you so I could profit from your death. And I love, like, let's not forget how we were introduced to Proximo's character. He's sitting at a table in some like, like roadside cafe in like rural Africa, sipping on some like herbal tea. And this guy comes up to him and says, you know, like basically hawking his wares. And the guy like out of nowhere just grabs this dude's nuts and says, and starts twisting them and complaining about how his giraffes are like not mating <laughs> like like <laughs> one of the best lines in the movie it I, is. I mean yeah and matt matt said it earlier and i i couldn't stop laughing um i don't you know nowadays i don't know what what we can and cannot say but it was that that had to be one of the best lines in the movie and honestly it had me dying today because it was it was so funny and you can see in that time where he's like i bought these giraffes to to do this thing and they're not doing it so like <laughs> i want my money i want my money back i want my money back <laughs> i'm having a whole conversation while holding this man's nuts like, <laughs> and like his timbre doesn't change like it's the same like monotone like he's so dialed up for like the rest of the film but in this one moment he's just like deadpan like like no emotion whatsoever this is business and I'm going to talk about my, my giraffes that won't be. It's awesome. And like the, I mean, like everything, like, and like when his little, like his little, I mean, we talk about pep talks, right? Maximus is talking, like he's laughing with his men, you know, like he, he, he saddles up and like, he tells Quintus, like in the first opening battles, he's like, he's like on my signal and leash hell, which I mean, I mean, pretty much inspired everyone in the movie theater, I'm pretty sure. But like, um, but then like, 
flip flip it over to the the next part of the film where Oliver Reed's giving a pep talk, right? And he's like, "Yeah, thrust this into another man's flesh," and you know he's like, we, "You know, inevitably we're all dead men." Like it's just like it's so counterbalanced to Maximus's character, and but yet it's still like so he's still very. But the the, the similarity there is that they're both very, very realistic about what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and um. I, I I just I love Proximo's character and um so this is the part where I wanted to talk about this. So there was an alternate ending to this film, but because he died, it didn't happen. Oh, wow. Are either of you guys familiar about this? Do you guys know about this? Yeah. Okay. So get this. All right. Now I still love the way the film was made, but I would have I really would have loved to have seen it play out this way. So so instead of Proximo giving in and and letting and letting Maximus go free or buy, you know accepting payment we don't really know what happened did he accept payment from Connie Nielsen's character or or did he just let him go um did that happen um uh, we don't really know for example but the 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 alternate ending what was really supposed to happen the way it was originally scripted is that Proximo sells him out Proximo sells Maximus out but in but I mean wouldn't this be another notch in Commodus's belt of evil revile? What he does is he doesn't reward Proximo. He in like the battle before Maximus fights Commodus, he makes Maximus fight Proximo. Oh wow. And Maximus kills him in the Colosseum. Wow. That would have been interesting. Right? That would have been like a really that would have been like like oh Oh man, so it it kind of re- it kind of reminds me of this 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 book I read. I can't I can't remember the author. I just remember the 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 plot of the book. So it was it was uh, I'll speed through this just just for comparison's sake. So this this man it, it looks on the internet and he he fills out the survey that says like Would you like to do anything and you know. You, would you want to do anything, you know, grant three wishes, essentially anything you want in your life, it can be given to you, no exceptions. And um, all you have to do is check the terms of service and you're gone. Well, all you have to do is no one reads the terms of service of anything. And eventually his life becomes a, a, a God awful mess. So he gets his three wishes, um, but he has to perform these, these, these acts now. And now one of these acts is he actually, the man in the, in the book actually watches a, watches a video of his wife getting raped by his best friend and then he has to go he then he goes into a death match with his best friend um and he has to kill him. and like like that that's the kind of that's what i kind of picture when i would like when i first heard about this alternate ending i thought about that book and i was just like oh my gosh like a man who you who you trusted i mean as much as you could as much as they did right. trust each other he gets sold out by him which is heartbreaking enough and then he has to kill him. Like, wow. un, like I, I couldn't imagine how that how that would have went. But this is another nice little twist. So apparently, you know, so like Oliver Reed and Richard Harris like had a, a mutual respect for each other. They kind of, and Oliver Reed kind of, you know, kind of almost like not worship, but like you know, held Richard Harris as we all do, kind of in really high esteem and everything. And he kind of, re- he honestly, he, uh, he resented Russell Crowe during filming because Russell Crowe developed this really great friendship with R- Richard Harris. 
and for some reason he just like he just got instantly like started disliking Russell Crowe and they started button heads and at one point during filming Oliver Reed challenged Russell Crowe to a fight <laughs> so it's kind no of, kidding kind of, it's kind of ironic um that didn't happen <laughs> but yeah Oliver Reed dies at 61 during the filming of this film um and um I mean, I don't know. I just, I just love his character, and I, I love the way that it ended up going. And I mean, I, I would have been interested to see the alternate ending, but, um, like, yeah, it, well, it was, he, had a, he had a great line from the movie also when he said, "You know, if you win the crowd, you'll win your freedom." Like that was there was because Maximo had no showmanship again, nor did he want to. He's like, "I my job is to kill people, and that's what I do," and yeah, whatever. So for him to say, you know, win the crowd, you'll win your freedom, I thought was pretty. Uh, was a pretty good line. What were, what was the cause of death for Oliver Reed? Um, I was looking that up and um, I believe I, oh shoot. Um, he, oh gosh, I'm, I'm looking it up now. I, I can't remember. I'm, I'm assuming some kind of like, maybe like a heart attack or something like that. Um, so oh gosh. Um, yeah. Cause 61 years old. I mean that, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure he died in Malta. That's what it says. But I, I, I got to look. If anyone in the chat knows exactly why he died, uh, that'd be a that'd be a really great. I feel I feel terrible that I didn't that I didn't look. Oh no, it was a heart attack. It was a heart attack. Okay, I was right. Yeah, uh, okay. Died of a heart attack. Um, probably probably didn't help with all the dialing up of lines that he did in the show. <laughs> like he's just like over the top. Um, and uh, but I mean, I don't know. I, I've I've. I love him. He's a great classical actor. I think he's he's brilliant, and I, I just I just love him in this film. I just I just I, I can't get enough of him when he's on screen. I think he's just I think he's hilarious. I think he's he's captivating. And, he is. Uh, yeah, great. So those are those are that's my pick for other than other than Maximus. So, um, so I want to take a break here. We're gonna do we're gonna have a couple of little fun things. Um, so um, so like Justin, I will go ahead and say this since uh. Since apparently I've offended uh, the alpha dog himself by not inviting him on this podcast, we'll talk about what you were doing all weekend and and the cigar that you were promoting. So you're you're involved with the great project. Uh, at, of course, you work for General Cigar, and uh, you are the brand the national brand ambassador for Diesel Cigars. You do an incredible job uh, with that role. Um, but uh, you were you were down at Lazona Palooza this. Uh, this past week promoting the project that you guys have built together over the last couple of years, which is war zone. Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. So, so yeah, as part of my, my role with general cigar, uh, I've been tasked with the, uh, with really the, the, the coolest thing I've probably been able to do, which is to go out and uh, kind of lead this collaboration department that we've got. Um, so, so as you guys know, we have a, you know, we have arguably the largest uh, tobacco library on the planet. And so one of the initiatives that we wanted to do was to, to allow people to come in. Um, fortunately, most of them are friends of my, all of them are friends of mine uh, and, and kind of use our, our resources and our expertise on a tobacco level and partner up with some of these, these boutique, uh, as, you know, by, the, by definition, uh, and, and offer these guys the ability to maybe work with some tobacco that they had never worked with before. So Espinosa was on the top of my list of people that I've, you know, me and Eric have been friends for a long time. Obviously, Jack Toronto used to, used to work for me at General Cigar. 
uh, Hector Alfonso again, Eric Jr. Uh, so a big fan of, of everything these guys do. And when I reached out to Eric one day and said, hey, have you ever made a cigar with Cameroon Wrapper? And he was like, no, I'd love to. We just, you know, Cameroon Wrapper is expensive. It's hard to get. It's hard to get uh, enough tobacco uh, to, to make a good run and also tobacco large enough to make large ring gauge cigars. And so that's how the Warzone collaboration started uh, last year. And, and we were, we, it was, it was the true definition of a collaboration. There was not one part of this project that we did not collaborate on. When it came to Hector and I down in the factory with Carlito, who runs uh, Eric's factory, blending the cigar to, to myself and Junior developing the, the artwork and the packaging with, with Eric Sr. Um, so much so as, as to how we even rolled the project out. So we've been very lucky. It got, uh, you know, for a long time this year was the highest rated Robusto in Cigar Aficionado magazine. So it came out of the gates hot with a 93. Uh, we sold out of the product almost immediately. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of people go, I never thought I'd see the day that General Cigar would be distributing a product that said Warzone by Espinosa. So that was, you know, that was a cool thing too, because we, we like to keep people on their toes and uh, you know, a lot of people put us in a box and that all oh, it's, you know, all we do is make Macanudos and, and, and punch cigars, but we're capable of a lot of really cool things. And Warzone is, uh, is an example and kind of the first uh, installment of, of something that you guys will see going on for a really long time with a lot of different manufacturers. So we, you know, we, this year has been a weird year with COVID and uh, we, we've all been battling different things and, and production and, and factories shutting down and box factories and, and sales reps not being on the road. And, uh, you know, there's always seems to be a silver lining to, to anything. And Eric and I got together uh, uh, over the phone, kind of in the middle of COVID, and, and we're just catching up. And, and uh, he said, bro, I want to run an idea by you. And uh, he and I obviously are both a big fan of, of traditional Cuban brands and, and things that kind of take us back to the, to the days of wrap set boxes and, and things that were, you know, what's inside the box counts more than what's on outside, outside of the box and, and before a lot of the social media stuff. And, and we both were big fans of this, this, this process called soft box pressing. And we're basically, before we had molds and before we had presses and before we had levers and all these things, you could, you could basically put a wet cigar in a box and it would kind of form to whatever that unique size or that unique shape inside the box. Cause it's packed. And, you know, you'd say you've seen the box lids with the little nail that you hammer down and, and it, it's kind of a, a, a way to pack fresh cigars in a cigar box and kind of let them evolve over time. We've then, we've since migrated from that, all of us due to efficiency and, and the ability of, of molds and synthetic molds and things like that. So we, uh, you know, he said, bro, he said, I want to do this. And, and we're going over the sizes and we're smoking the blends. And the Churchill size really stood out to Hector Alfonso, myself, Jack Tarano. And I was like, bro, but the, the, the thing is, you know, Churchill's, maybe it's a fault of us as manufacturers. Churchill's are not as popular as they used to be. You know, when you go into cigar shops now, you see people smoke Robustos and Torres. And of course, you know, the 660s and the 6x70s and the 7x80s and, you know, the bigger, the better. And, and this kind of classic, you know, Cuban size, this Churchill, this six and a half by 48 is something that's gone by the wayside. And, and honestly, I mean, even with my new cigar that you're smoking there, Bear Diesel Esteli Puro, 
I didn't launch a Churchill size in that. I did Robusto Toro Gigante, you know, and, and it's not because I don't like Churchill's, but, you know, you have different Vitolas that the blend expresses itself in a, in a way that kind of maximizes that flavor. And Churchill's are not the easiest for that due to the length and, and the ring gauge. And as we started smoking these and smoking them more and more and talking, I was like, bro, this cigar is too good not to launch, even though it's in a Churchill size. And so I'm hoping that part of this kind of creates this almost a revival for the Churchill size. And people realize that you can get a solid, you know, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes out of this Churchill size. And it creates such a unique flavor, especially with the soft box press. It's, it's not underpacked. It's not overpacked. There's a perfect balance there. Uh, I'm a big fan of box press, as you know, with my, in my former life with Lou Rodriguez cigars, we only made box press cigars. And so for me, this, this project is near and dear to my heart because not only did I get a chance to go back and work with these guys um, again, but, but tweak the blend that was so successful to fit this one very specific Vitola. And I know you have a lot of guys on here that, you know, oh, I made this and I made that and it's different, different things. And, and it's true, no matter what line you're in, there's, you know, maybe it's the Robusto that, that expresses that blend the best, or maybe it's the Toro, or maybe there's a, you know, a Figurado, but to go in and work with these guys and develop this blend to specifically fit this Churchill size uh, was a lot of fun. And I'm super proud of the, of this finished product. I, I can't wait for you guys to get to smoke it and try it. Obviously not everybody's going to love it. Um, but I think it's, it's something that will really be a, a huge supplement to the already successful uh, Robusto and Toro that we have in this line. You know, I actually smoked that this morning too. So, um, you know, as I was kind of joking, uh, well, not joking in, in all seriousness, I, 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 I smoked my, what ended up being my last McAuliffe that I had on sandwich was the a, um, this morning along. And then I also smoked the war zone Churchill that you've, that you've, uh, that you've got, that you're chewing on. Um, and it, you're, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I, I love the, I love the Churchill Vitola. I've always been a fan of it. I think it is incredibly underrated. I think it's also incredibly lost, you know, from a retail point of view, it's just something, unfortunately, that a lot of smokers don't gravitate towards, which is unfortunate because it's a, it's a great Vitola. And in the box press, this is a, this is a, this, what I found from smoking it this morning, Justin, is that what I love about, what I love about Churchill's is that the smoke is so cool coming up that chamber. That's right. But with the soft press on this, it kind of it speeds it up, but not in an aggressive way. Um, it works really well with that that thin Cameroon wrapper, and and it just it imparts so much flavor. And while it does lack that cool smoke that a traditional Churchill would have, it still doesn't take away from the enjoyment that I had of that cigar. It was it was it was terrific. Well, and that's part of the thing you you mentioned the 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 nature of this thin Cameroon wrapper, and it is a delicate wrapper. It 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 is, and that's why you don't see, I mean, you don't see a lot of companies with with real African Cameroon wrapper, and 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 we've got the indicators on our cigar with the spots and things that you can tell this is this is authentic Cameroon wrapper. But putting this in a mold and box pressing it is always a challenge. So by allowing these cigars to kind of naturally soft press in that box helps the, you know, it, it caters to more of that thin Cameroon wrapper. So you get, it's not a dense box press. It's not, you know, there's not clean lines and, and sharp edges there, uh, but it's a unique smoke, man. And you know what, it's not, it's not the best looking cigar. It's, 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 
it's not the, the, the worst looking cigar, but to me, it has this, you know, you hear the saying, it's almost kind of like so ugly, it's beautiful. Like there's something about this that is so unique to me with the process of the soft box press and the flavor that I just, I, I couldn't be more thrilled the way this turned out. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm as you mentioned, uh, Justin, already, I am smoking the diesel Esteli Puro. Uh, the latest from uh, the latest from Diesel, the the brand that you represent. But you, as you mentioned, you do so much more in general, uh, doing some exciting projects. I'm I'm really excited to see what you come up with next. Every um, Bre- uh, Justin, I've said this to you before, uh, and I'll say it again. Ever since you really took over, you know this brand, and I know you work really hard alongside AJ Fernandez to to produce these cigars that you make under the Diesel line. Uh, they've been lights out and they, and, and I'll steal a line from you. Cause I know you're going to probably going to say it after I stop talking, but I mean, these, these were great cigars before because they've been, they've always been made by AJ. Um, every diesel cigar has always been made by AJ, but, but honestly, man, since you took over, it is, it's, it's, it's had a new life. It's done. It, 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 you've taken it up that level, that appropriate level that it needed to be taken up to. And, uh, and, and, you know, with all respect to the amazing brands in the general portfolio, cause there's some great ones. Um, but I mean, diesel is, is, is as strong, uh, if not the strongest, arguably in, in the, in the portfolio. And, that, and then a large part is, 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 is to your credit, man. So well done. Oh man. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm humbled that you, you know, that, that you said that. And it's been, I, I tell you what it's, and I say it a lot and, and people will give me a hard time about it, but I'm, I mean, I'm truly fortunate that I was given the opportunity to, uh, to kind of take over this brand and it's a testament to our leadership that they've given me the flexibility to to be creative and to kind of push boundaries and and do things with this brand that uh, that we haven't been able to do with some other brands and and as someone who is you know been has lived eaten breathed this industry for for the better part of my adult life um, it's nice to finally be in a position to where I can I can do some of the things that that I you know sketched the notebooks back in 2010 and 2011 and and those those trips to where I would be you know dropped off in Nicaragua and and Lou would be there for a week and say hey, all right well you're you know you're flying back in three weeks and and all the things it's nice to, to kind of see these things come to fruition there and use some of that experience and knowledge and, and by no means am I an expert in anything when it comes to the cigars but I you know I I, I have a I love this I love the I love everything about it. And I learn new things every day and working with someone like AJ is, uh, is phenomenal. It's like taking a master class in, uh, in tobacco, everything from cultivation to, uh, to the aging process, to uh, just seeing how, how he manages operations. And Esteli Puro, uh, again, is something that, that he and I thought of, and uh, I bugged the shit out of him for the last five years on, on this thing. And, and fortunately for us, it was finally ready uh, about a year ago. And uh, to my knowledge, it's the only cigar on the market with a wrapper from the town of Esteli. And I'm, I'm very honored and privileged to say that, you know, this is a cigar that was grown in Esteli and rolled in Esteli, wrapper, binder, filler. Um, it does have a different flavor profile. A lot of people, you know, they're not, they're not going to be used to the very specific flavor that it has, um, but it still stays true to, to what we have at Diesel you know, bold, full flavored cigars with balance um, that won't overpower you. But it is, it's, it's to me, there's, there's not a lot of things new under the sun when it comes to cigars. There may be new stories, 
there may be new twists, but very rarely do we have another, you know, like an Amazon Basin cigar or a Fuma and Corda cigar by CAO. Like, but this to, to launch a cigar with a wrapper grown and rolled in Esteli is, is definitely one of the highlights of my career. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Justin, you, you spent most of your adult life in this industry and, uh, you know, you know, we've, we've been, you know, ribbing him a little bit, but I mean, Sam is starting his adult life and he gets, to, he gets the dream, man. He starts his adult life. Right. I mean, I have right. to into the industry. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it should be commended. Um, Sam, I'll, 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 I'll give you my due, uh, up front. Um, I, cause, um, I hope I don't mischaracterize your title, but you are the marketing specialist for McAuliffe Cigars. And uh, I, I, I think arguably you guys uh, have done the, I mean, from a marketing point of view, have done the very best work in this COVID era. I mean, really engaging with your consumers, really engaging with your retailers on all different spectrums and levels. I mean, the, the audible that you guys were able to pull and ultimately execute at the level that you guys have doing at the, at the level and sustained level that you guys have been going at has just been awesome. And that's in large part to you, man. Cause this, I mean, marketing is your, is your baby and, and that's what you, that's, that's what you've got. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor now. Talk to me about what's, what you're smoking tonight and what, you know, what's, what's going on with what you're doing at McAuliffe. Yeah. Thank you, Barry. So I'm actually, I don't have any A's to smoke, actually, or I would be smoking one for your show, but I'm smoking a Herencia Habano in the Toro size, which was a line extension this year, um, which is an absolutely delicious cigar that I can't get enough of personally. But yeah, it's been kind of a dramatic shift in the past year at McAuliffe Cigars. It's The leadership team is all new. I was kind of in the transition to this new leadership team. And then COVID strikes. And Andy and I are sitting there on Zoom. We're looking at each other like, we need to pull the reps off the road. It's like, well, what are we going to do? It's like, well, we kind of became TV producers for three months. And almost still, to an extent, we're not doing what we did in the peak of COVID when everything was shut down. But it was interesting, like, going transitioning through this role of marketing specialists, you know, like writing press releases, and I was also helping Andy manage the sales team. And then we're going into three shows a day, six days a week for a couple months. And Bear, you were you were one of the first guests on our off the record. I think I think you were in the first five of our guests on off the record. I think it was definitely in the first ten. Yeah. That was great, yeah. great, great show that you guys have been putting on. Brought on some great folks. Yeah. And that one, all credit goes to our president Dan. He came up with that show. Um, I spearheaded our Macau Madness tournament where we put all of our best-selling Vitolas in a bracket. And then we let our ambassadors fill out brackets and, and vote on their favorite cigars in a tournament because we knew that they didn't have this opportunity like they do normally to do this March Madness tournament when they were all sitting at home, a lot of them working from home. And then we followed it up with this show in the afternoon where we, we, we wanted to highlight our retailers and highlight them in a way that made them look like heroes and let our ambassadors know that there are these really cool shops around the country that they probably won't get to walk into or normally see, but they're there and this industry is thriving. 
and we wanted to highlight them to our ambassadors. And then in the evenings, the show you did with us, Bear, the off the record show is even as a cigar manufacturer, it was like, it's not weird to have other cigar manufacturers on our show and highlight them to our customers, right? So that's kind of weird, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. And we did this show where we brought in people from even general. We brought in um, from Espinosa, from Tatuaje. We brought in a lot of the people that we just knew from around the industry. And we really wanted to strengthen the industry as a whole with that show. Like show people that, like, yes, we are competitors, but really this industry is one big family. Um, but it's been a really wild ride. And then coupled with that, we came out with the McAuliffe A. The McAuliffe A was a cigar that we initially launched earlier this year as the to be named because we didn't have a name for it. And we thought who better to name this cigar than our most loyal consumers, the ambassadors. And we let them name the cigar and nominate names. We had a lot of fun with it. We had all kinds of shows about it. They put forth their, their name ideas and we thought, well, we'll let them vote and we're, we got to go through some vetting because a lot of names are trademarked in this industry and they wanted to name it after themselves. Of course, they wanted to name it the ambassador. It wasn't a name that we could legally use. And so we decided, well, we're going to name it the A. We know it's not an A size, but it's a celebration of our ambassadors and how involved they've become with the company during kind of this really hard time in the country. And it's been a huge hit. Like you said, you smoked one this morning. I don't have any to smoke. I don't think there are any at the office to smoke. We broke open a couple of bundles when they came in every shipment, we smoke them. We make sure that everything's good. They're consistent. And usually what happens is Al McAuliffe comes in, takes the rest of the bundle, goes home. <laughs> and then we ship the rest out to our retail partners. And, and that's it. We don't have any to smoke, man. I wish I could smoke more of them. I enjoy the cigar, even though I'm not a typically a 54 ring gauge smoker or a Churchill smoker. I do appreciate the size, but normally I'm a, I stay in the Corona range, but it's, it's been a wild ride with that cigar. It's the first cigar that we've really launched since I became more on the marketing team. And it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't do anything different, honestly. It's even in a very hard year, it's been a very good year for McAuliffe and we are very excited to, to get through this and really grow as a company and do a lot of cool things in the future. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I put it right up there. I'm, I'm big, I'm a big low experience, uh, low experience crema guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the, a, uh, I mean, it, it might, it, it very well might be the best cigar you guys have ever made. I, I it's that good. And it's that, and it's, and it's that, and it's also very approachable when you can get it. Like you said, you ship them out and they're, they're, they, they, they've been selling out like crazy, which is great uh, for you guys. Um, but it's very approachable in price. And I mean, what a great way to honor, honor the people that, uh, that, that, that drive your brand. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, um, I was going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, Cause I was going to wait till we were off the air to, to just plug this, but he'll never ask. And you would probably wouldn't ask him. So I'm just going to hook you guys up. You need to have Justin Andrews on off the record because he's a great interview by himself. Um, but, and, uh, and the only reason Justin was on my show before great, great interview, as I mentioned, 
Um, but I think he was so excited about this show because for the most part, we weren't going to talk about cigars. So he was really, he was really jacked about that. <laughs> um, he's really <laughs> excited for the opportunity. Uh, he loves his day job, but he also, you know, occasionally likes to not talk about his day job 24 seven. So, um, which, uh, which just gave him the opportunity to. So, um, but going into that, the next part here, uh, Sam, I'll keep, keep it with you. So uh, as, as, as some of my audience knows, something that I rolled out just a couple of weeks ago, we're adding a new component to LLC Fumar Takes. And every week we're going to be highlighting a charity or nonprofit of my guest choice. Now, today I have two great guests. And so I put the question to both of you guys, you know, who, what charity or nonprofit do you want to highlight and try, and we're, are, we're going to try to raise money for both of them. And uh, I've, I put it out earlier this week in the ads and everything. And Sam, you chose a great charity. I love this charity. Uh, and I'll let you talk a little bit about it. Uh, the Wounded Warrior Project. Yeah, thank you, Barry. Yeah, there's no other way I could have gone with this. Um, I had two grandfathers who served in World War II. We were just coming off Veterans Day. Um, and our veterans have sacrificed so much for this country, especially those who have been wounded in the line of duty or those who have not come back going to serve. You can't talk about their sacrifice enough. I hope that you all will donate to the Wounded Warrior Project. I know that I already have and I can't talk about them enough, man. Um, I know Carney, I'm not the first person to choose this one on your show, but I know, I hope I definitely won't be the last because the men and women who have served this country and come back deserve the very best from us they've sacrificed for us and we need to sacrifice for them so with that i chose the wounded warrior project there's there's so much i could say but the sacrifice that they've made says enough preserving our freedom through hundreds of years of this country being so yeah it's a really great organization it, and it's also really focused, you know, like Wounded Warriors Project, their, 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 their sole driven focus is for veterans uh, that have served uh, after 9-11, mm-hmm. which is pretty appropriate for, for you considering that's, the, and, and for actually for all three of us, this, this is the generation of veterans that we grew up with. My father served obviously prior to 9-11, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, this is the generation of veterans that have given us, I mean, they've given us the freedom to do what we're doing tonight gentlemen talking about a film that we love smoking cigars and talking about cigars that we love and their 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 ultimate sacrifice and and is it, it should be honored and uh, i'm it'll be in the show notes please consider donating to this amazing cause um but um it's 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 truly great and i really like what i do really like about wounded warrior project not only do they talk about the benefiting veterans who have lost physically but also lost mentally. They do a lot of mental uh, health and spiritual well-being um, therapy and efforts to make sure that when people are transitioning to civilian life uh, from their role in the military, that they that that they're whole, that they're made whole. And that's 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 the hardest. They always say that's the hardest thing to see. But I, I, I've mentioned this before on my show, gentlemen, and it's it's a it's a scary, scary statistic. 23, 23 veterans a day commit suicide. And that is a staggering and disgusting statistic. And if by donating to a, pro, a, 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 pro, a nonprofit like Wounded Warrior Project can knock that number down by one 
or by two or in half, it is enough because we need to show these veterans what they mean to us and a great, great choice by you, Sam. Wounded Warrior Project, great organization. Justin, you also chose a great organization too. And I was really excited when you chose this because this is, this is highlighting a project, um, not to be too on the nose, the name, but a project headed by a, a gentleman who, uh, who has spent some great deal of time in his life in the cigar industry, Mr. Brian Berman, and his project, uh, Project Manana. Uh, so Justin, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Talk to us a little bit about this amazing, uh, amazing charity and, and, and uh, how we can, how we can uh, all help as well. Yeah, absolutely. I will say uh, to kind of take off of uh, Sam's charity there, Wounded Warriors, as, uh, as the son of a veteran and somebody uh, born and raised in Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, uh, that, uh, that charity is near and dear to my heart there. So uh, like you said, Bear, if there's anything any of us can do to help kind of drive that number down. Um, I, I come from a family of, of military service. Uh, my uncle who passed not too long ago uh, at 98 years old was a uh, Silver Star uh, uh, winner from, uh, I shouldn't say winner, but- uh, Recipient, uh, yeah. Recipient, <laughs> uh, thank you, <laughs> from, uh, from World War II. Uh, so uh, his name is Wade McNeil. So yes, yeah, so big, uh, you know, all of us understand and appreciate the sacrifices that our men and women in uniform make. And so that's, uh, that's a big thing that we, we all contribute to and, and try to have a, a positive impact on our veterans uh, uh, today and tomorrow and, and so forth. My, uh, the, the, like, as you said, Project Manana is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, Brian Berman uh, is a dear friend of mine. He was someone when I, when I started in the industry back in late 2009, early 2010, I uh, was one of the guys who kind of, uh, you know, reached out to me, showed me the ropes uh, at Lou Rodriguez. We were, we were big supporters of the CRA. Um, I actually was fortunate enough to, uh, to do a lot of events with these guys all across the country and be an ambassador. And so Brian, um, you know, went on to do some, some charitable things there. And his wife is from the Dominican Republic and, and with her and himself and his family, they started Project Manana. And what they do is so important because they provide opportunities uh, to kids there in the Dominican Republic for education, for healthcare, um, college prep courses, things like that. So they not only do they, they impact the lives of, of kids that are, you know, K through 12, but they also have a charitable contribution to kids that leave the Dominican Republic and go off to study in the United States or choose to go to university there in the DR. So Project Manana is something that's, uh, it's, it's been around for, I believe, uh, around seven, eight years now at this point. T 10 years. This is their 10th ten ten year. Ten, yeah. 10 years. There you ten. go. Yeah. So it's been, yeah. it's been 10 years and it's, um, it's something that, uh, that I've been contributing to for, uh, for a long time. And, and there's a lot of people all across our, our great industry that have contributed to it. Um, and, and just things with, you know, a lot of the parents and, and we have things at our factories that, that offer this too, but you know, one of the challenges they face over the Dominican is, you know, childcare and, and when they go to work and where their kids going to be. So offering this, this service for childcare and, and K through 12 education is such a big thing to have these kids in a safe place with clean drinking water, uh, lunch provided. The opportunity to learn and, and educate themselves 
and then also the support through through college is is huge too so i'm a big advocate for project manana and brian berman and everything that he's doing there um and it is unique that you know he's from the cigar industry he's had an impact in our industry for many years um and i just think it's something that we can all get on board with for sure and we we rely so heavily on the dominican republic for cigars and so many of our factories are based there um so it, it's nice to give back and and kind of help that community uh in a way that it otherwise wasn't supported for for many years yeah you know i, I not to get too much on a, on a pedestal here about it, but I, you know, I, and, and I don't want to get too controversial, but I, I, I am a religious person and uh, it is actually rooted in, 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 in Christian values. The, the, the church is. And, uh, but their mission is like, as you said, is, is education, um, nutrition, um, clean water. Um, you know, you know, when we think about the four major cigar producing countries in the, in this world, I mean, there are plenty of others, but the four major ones, you talk about Cuba, Dominican, Honduras, and Nicaragua. And these are all third world countries and uh, Cuba being the, I'm leaving them out of this conversation, but the cigar industry has done so much for those three countries. And the DRs probably received the most benefit out of it. I would say out of the four, they're probably the most elevated um, in terms of in terms of infrastructure, but there are still there are still many people living in really like poverty that y- things that we would take for granted. Justin, clean water, nutrition, right. um, you know they they not everybody has, and and this is an incredible incredible program uh, that Brian and his family and his team have built up, and and it's a really great organization. I'm really glad that you highlighted it. I was. Super excited. Uh, I, of course, knew of it beforehand. And um, and when you, I mean, I floated this out to you. And, and usually when you and I converse over text, Justin, you're so busy. Usually our, our conversations that would probably last three minutes over the phone, probably, right. you know, probably stretch out over the course of like a week. Um, but I mean, obviously this struck a chord with you because I put the question to you and you immediately, I mean, you texted me right back. You said that this is it. And it, it obviously it's clear that it's it, it means the world to you and it, and it should it's 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 a fantastic program and I'm really excited to highlight it. So both links will be in the show notes, guys. Uh, if you go back on my Facebook feed, you'll see uh, you'll see the link in the ad for Project Manana to donate uh, as you will see it for a Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, please consider donating. These are two amazing charities that do some really phenomenal work um, in the fields that they're in. And I'm, I'm really excited to highlight them tonight. So thank you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Um, so to that, to that point, we're going to get back to Gladiator. We are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Gladiator tonight. Um, but before we get to that, we're still having a little bit of fun here with the mid, uh, mid part of the show. And then there's this new, well, not new, actually, we've been doing it for six months now. Uh, a segment on my show and it's called one must go now justin you were on my show uh last year and so you didn't have a chance to take part in this so you this will be your first one must go uh so it is brought to you by united cigars featuring la Giana havana and distributors of jose dominguez bandolero garofalo and the highly acclaimed atabay and byron lines so smoke one today and start living united now here's the premise guys we're going to bring back Gladiator into the discussion here. Well, actually, we're going to bring back one person from Gladiator into the discussion. And that, of course, is Russell Crowe, who plays Maximus. Now, I tried it. So the idea of One Must Go is I'm going to give you three things. OK, now, three things. And one of them has to get the boot. 
Now I had some, I'll explain why I chose these three things here in a second, because there was one that I was thinking about, but I figured that would be automatically the de facto boot. But I wanted to get y'all's three things. So, okay. So maybe, maybe not, but I'm maybe assuming something here, but I'm thinking that all of us probably think that Russell Crowe's best role is probably Maximus. Yep. But let's not forget, he won the best actor for this. And then the following year in 2002, he wins for his portrayal of John Nash in A Beautiful Mind. And of course, he went on to play uh, the year after that, another iconic character, Jack Aubrey as Master in Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. And then a few years after that, he portrays Jim Braddock, the iconic boxer in Cinderella Man. So I was thinking of like badass characters and I was thinking, okay, I'll do Jack Aubrey, Jim Braddock. And I was going to do Robin Hood, but I figured, oh, Robin Hood's going to totally get the boot because the film was not that great. <laughs> um, um, we're going to talk about Russell Crowe's IMDb here in a little bit. But for these three, I think these are three, other than Maximus, I think these three are probably, they're definitely my favorites. And I think they're the three of his best. Maybe Bud White from L- LA Confidential, but I'm going post Gladiator here. So with the one so one must go guys what is the role that you say you know what no just no i'm going to take the other two this one's got to go what is it jack aubrey jim braddock or john nash sam i'll i'll go to you first well bear i'm going to be honest i've only seen two of the other films i've seen master and commander i've seen cinderella man so by default i almost have to keep those two but in my opinion i don't even think it's a default because those are both roles that he played. I mean, Cinderella Man is still one of my favorite boxing movies that I've ever seen. And Master and Commander just ignites the history buff in me. It's like, mm-hmm. that is a leader, in my opinion. But yeah, by default, I have to keep those two and the other has to go. I think Ro- Rocky is my favorite boxing film. Raging Bull and Cinderella Man are tied for me. But yeah. I'm a big Cinderella Man guy. Um, absolutely. I'm going to participate in this too, but I'm not going to spoil it yet. So that kind of gave away a little bit of my answer. But Justin, which which role? Jack Aubrey, Jim Braddock, John Nash, which one goes? Nash for me. I mean, Braddock, Cinderella Man is, is one of my all-time, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, so yeah, so uh, the third one there, Nash, uh, that the didn't resonate with me as much as some of the others, but, uh, but Jim Braddock, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of those films that again, you kind of, it gets lost a little bit. And then when you see it, it's like, Oh my God, I, it's captivating. I can't turn this away. Um, and one of my favorite parts from that movie is like how all of a sudden during the depression, he developed a left, a left hook, <laughs> which was, uh, which it's one of the great scenes of that movie. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, I was down on the dock and I couldn't use my right, so I started using my left. That's right. Oh man, great! I I I'll, I'll, I think it's a great film as well. So my 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 choice. Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a unanimous, guys. I think that um, while Beautiful Mind is a great film, and I thought his performance was, I think the his performance as John Nash really showcases that Russell Crowe isn't just an action film star. And he doesn't have to be this 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 badass guy. He has a he has a lot of depth to his skill, and he he's he is a really great actor. And I think in a lot of we're going to go over his IMDb here in a little bit. Um, but I think what he's kind of pigeonholed a little bit. But I think what John Nash does show is the the breadth and scope of his uh, of his 
of his acting chops. Um, so I, John Nash has definitely got to go for me. Um, but I, at Cinderella Man and Master and Commander, just two great films and two exceptional roles. So, well, gentlemen, that thank you so much. I can't. I, I, I'm. I, I'm not terribly surprised that we're unanimous on this. But I, I was. I, I didn't know if one of y'all was going to throw me a curveball there or something. But um, I think uh, it, it's absolutely resounding. So that was our one must go, and it was sponsored by United Cigars. Uh, smoke one today and start living United. Of course, they are. They are uh, available at your local retailer, and uh, they're. Featuring La Gian Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. So smoke one today and start living united. So gentlemen, let's let's dive into IMDBs here real quick. And I wanna I wanna just read off. We were just talking about some of Russell's roles here. I want to read off this run that Russell Crowe goes on. Okay. And so it starts when we kind of see him for the first time. He goes toe-to-toe with my favorite actor in 1995, Virtuosity with Denzel Washington. Two years later, he's in LA, LA Confidential with Bud White. John Beebe in Mystery Alaska in 99. Same year, he puts on 40 pounds of not muscle, fat, in The Insider. Loses that 40 pounds, buffs up. Apparently didn't do anything. He just went to work on his farm that he owns in Australia. Um <laughs> For Gladiator, Proof of Life later that year, Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, Cinderella Man in 05, two years after Master and Commander, A Good Year, 310 to Yuma in 2007, American Gangster also in 2007, Body of Lies, State of Play in 09, then the wheels I feel like start to come off 2010, he does Robin Hood the next three days, and for all of you musical fans out there he is an apparently an accomplished musician but apparently a lot of people had beef with the the fact that he was javert and les miserables um and then noah in 2014 and then he's had some other roles uh, up until now um <laughs> i i think it kind of tailed off after like 310 to yuma which is also a film that i really love it kind of took a deep dive but look at that run guys from 1995 to 2007 ending with american gangster and 310 to yuma like it's a hell of a run right so i like we could go probably go back i think denzel washington has something very similar like if you want to go further back al pacino robert de niro tom hanks where they're just like batting a thousand for a few years in a row and stuff but i mean this is up there right i mean i just named some of the greatest actors of all time I mean, that, this, is, this is right up there with some of those runs, right? No, I agree. I think a testament to him is that, you know, I can be sitting over here with one of my all-time favorite movies, Gladiator, and meanwhile, my mother was obsessed with A Good Year. She thought that was just an amazing film. She loved it. So that shows the, uh, the depth of, of Russell Crowe and, the, and the, that run that he had to, to go from, you know, uh, uh, Beautiful Mind and... and, and Gladiator and 310 to Yuma and, and American Gangster. And then all of a sudden, oh, here's good. Here's a, like kind of a rom-com here. Uh, it's a good year. So yeah, that's, that run could probably go up against a lot of other great actors runs there. What about you, yeah, Sam? I agree. I mean, even in, you go, you mentioned like Robin Hood, not great movie, 
but what's the one redeeming factor? It's Russell Crowe in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you watch that movie because Russell Crowe is this badass hero. That's that's it. That's the only reason you watch that movie. But yeah, it's an incredible run, man. Like that rivals a lot of some of the best actors in cinematic history. That what, like seven year run he, he goes on of just phenomenal films. So a, a different resume, right? I'm going to shift over to another character that we've been talking a little bit about tonight, but a different resume. But, you know, for the most part, like you could kind of see Russell Crowe's greatness coming with a couple of those precursor roles before Gladiator. Like I think L.A. Confidential, I think, is Bud White, I think is one of the the, the best films you, you talk about because Russell Crowe actually is not a big man, which is shocking when you look at the, when you watch Gladiator and then you see him portray Bud White in this film. And he actually read la confidential the book and it turns out bud white the character bud white is actually the biggest char- the biggest man in in the story like physically and russell crowe is five foot eleven he's average size he's average build he's not i mean he's not i mean he's ripped in gladiator but he's not he's not like gerard butler 300 ripped either yeah. um but what he did for la confidential was he actually rented an apartment that was really tiny and lived there for like six months preparing for the role so that he could feel bigger. Um, so when he walked on the set, he could feel like he like owned the presence. And he really did. Like he's shorter than like, um, like a lot of people in that film. And he's shorter than a lot of people in Gladiator. Like the scene when he's coming down the elevator after the, the battle of Carthage, right? In the elevator and there, everyone's cheering his name, Maximus, Maximus, after he's revealed himself to the emperor. And like his Gladiator team is behind him. They're all bigger than he is. <laughs> But yet they're just they're following him because he's just this this larger than life leader and man it's just incredible performance. We're like I said getting back to it. But interesting enough, going back to another resume here from ex- obscurity. So now today, Joaquin Phoenix is is a is a household name. Mm-hmm. But you know, for a while he was just River Phoenix's brother. Right, that's all he really was. Yep. You know, I mean. But I mean, obviously, like Joaquin Phoenix is a household name. Now, like, did you like, again, Sam, just to use your age here, but I mean, did you even know who River Phoenix is? Like, nope. Okay. So, no. but like, that was him for a while, though. That was Joaquin Phoenix's claim to fame, is he was River Phoenix's brother. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, going up to Gladiator, he was in Inventing the Abbots, a nice little, you know, you know, throwback era, you know, you know, coming of age tale in Inventing the Abbots. Clay Pigeons, 8mm. Cool film. Good movie. Yeah. And then he does Gladiator and the performance of a fucking lifetime, right? World's most reviled villain. I mean, he just jumps off the screen and he's just insane. Um, then he does uh, Quills, which we found out gets, you know, Jeffrey Rush got nominated for that. Uh, at the same time, he was filming those simultaneously. Then he does Signs, another kind of kind of plays the goes into the weird role starting the village okay uh hotel rwanda great movie right johnny cash walk the line epic ladder 49 we own the night i think an underrated performance by him and an underrated film overall um the master you want to talk about fucked up roles right in 2012 and her 
I mean, we're starting to get into that weird stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then most recently, Joker. Right, full circle with that whole Keith Ledger discussion we had earlier, right? I mean, it's. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't even compare to Russell Crowe's resume and that run that he had. But I mean, what an interesting launching pad that that Joaquin Phoenix used Gladiator for. And I would say, like, out of all the films that he's done, like maybe We on the Night's a little underrated, but I mean. Walk the Line is probably, you know, it's probably, it, it's definitely my favorite role of his. He's my favorite. That's my favorite character that he's ever portrayed. Um, Because, I mean, let's, like, you, you can't like Commodus. Like, no one likes Commodus. Like, but I think, I think Commodus is his best role, which is kind of sad because it was like, he came right out of the gate firing on all cylinders and just, and just, is, in my opinion, just hasn't been able to reclaim it. But he's he's catapulted into this interesting career of these just weird, weird, weird roles, and and it's it's interesting, right? Like I don't, I don't know, like Sam, what are, what are your thoughts? It is really interesting. Like he's kind of become this guy who plays the like you said these really weird roles in movies, even like Commodus. Even historically, this dude was off the rails and a weirdo. 2000 years ago he plays him he comes in he plays a phenomenal johnny cash he's not this kind of off the rails weirdo and then he comes in and plays the joker years later which is like the epitome of someone going off the rails i it's really interesting to me like the transition he's made and he followed up the last joker performance of Heath Ledger, which was phenomenal. And the next guy to play the Joker is why played the Joker for real. I'm not going to talk about Oh, you're not going to talk about Jared Leto? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not talk about Jared. Count. No, I'm not going to talk about Jared Leto. But, and he just takes it to this whole nother level of psychopath and like mental instability. It's such an interesting career to look at. It's not like this magical run that Russell Crowe has, but it's extremely interesting. So, I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted that that this was like his best film. Like, if I look back on it, like this was really his best film, and I mean, he, and 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 probably he he probably honestly kind of did a certain like I don't think he could ever play like the true hero like Johnny Cash was an interesting character right he was he was a flawed individual like he was very an empathetic character uh, throughout that film and I thought like other than this like that's the other film that I gravitate towards him but he's a he is a good he's a very talented actor but I just haven't liked any I mean with the exception of Walk the Line I and like I said and We Own the Night I just really haven't liked any of his characters. I will say um, this. I, I think, I, I think if either one of these, if we had to choose which one of these two could kind of have this this renaissance and come back and do something strong, I think it would be Joaquin Phoenix. Like I think he's, you know, which again, it probably doesn't help that I saw a picture of of uh, of, of our boy the other day with a white beard, you know, and the big belly and Russell, you know, Russell Crowe's looking kind of like, you know, he's looking like he's on the the other end of the bell curve there. And I think Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, especially after the Joker 
I think if they're, I, I think he still maybe has a little bit of upside. There, there, he might have one left, two left. He's young enough. He's popular enough. I think the Joker, even though it's, it won't be in that same vein, obviously, but I think that he might be getting offered some roles now after that, that perhaps he wasn't a few years ago. It's true. It's true. I wonder if he could ever become a, like if he, if he goes on a run of being a good guy, like, I, I just don't, I don't know if he could ever be that go on a hero run. I just, he has that look about it. He just doesn't have that leading man. Like I'll follow him into the gates of hell and, no. and, and, and go to war with him kind of, but then again, maybe that's just not his, that's just not his bag. And that's okay. Like you have to have people like him in Hollywood or else it's just films, just not good, you know? Uh, so, it, but it's an interesting, like, comparison when you look at the two how they how they utilized this film to spearhead a you know two you know very successful careers mind you i didn't really like a lot of joaquin stuff but i don't think that's that's i think that's more my problem i don't think that's i don't think that he put out bad films um you know where we saw a lot of you know a lot of actors who like took off and then did nothing for a few years <clears throat> ben affleck but whatever you know so like <laughs> Um, you know, but I think that there's, I think there's something to be, there's some similarities there. They're interesting that they use this to catapult an interesting career. So, um, my next question, uh, about gladiator, and I think this one's going to be unanimous too, but I think there's some interesting contenders when you go back again, this was the, this was the film that kind of spearheaded the, the rejuvenation of the swords and sandals, you know, kind of fighting and everything, uh, you know, style of a film. And, uh, but I mean, is this the best gladiator? gladiator film i mean my only other thoughts are you know ben-hur which was actually you know you know chariot racing but i mean brutal in its sense and spartacus of course which was the the original and the great you know you know kurt douglas which who made that film made kurt douglas the greatest movie star in like you know for like 20 years uh yeah. and i think that's why people just didn't want to make these films anymore because they're like how do how the how, how do we compete with that and then Ridley Scott's like, oh, I got this. You know, Mel Gibson turned me down, but that's fine. I got this guy named Russell Crowe and we're going to we're going to fucking take it to another level. But, but I think we're going to be unanimous on this. But I mean, does anyone do you, do you guys have any other suggestions? Is there another film that can even is there another film that's like number two in your minds? No, I mean, in my opinion, Gladiators one and then it's the two you mentioned. It's that's it. Period. To me, that's my opinion. I, Justin may have another opinion, but i'm trying really hard to have another opinion i really am but i think uh i think again i think the three of us will be in agreement um i mean now i will say i, I was i was a, I, I was a big fan of troy i i thought it was i thought it was great but i don't think it compares uh to, I, I mean it, it, it wouldn't be on on this list right here so yeah i think I think it's interesting that when when the kind of as you guys put it the swords and sandals when it's done well it's something that that we all kind of get behind and and it's this you know this reality with you know historical but there's like mysticism to it and this mythology of these guys that are you know larger than life and so it's an easy it's so funny to me it's like you would think from a creative standpoint that this would be a layup like here's the, the template yeah. You have the hero, you have the villain, you have this time period, you have these costumes, you have this these type of people, boom, 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 it's done. But so many people can't execute it. Like so many films have not been able to 
achieve and execute what Gladiator did. So maybe that's, you know, it's a testament to Ridley Scott where he's like, so I just, it, it's just interesting. The more, as I was preparing for the show and, and flying, I was, you know, I was just thinking about it. Like, this is something that you would think from the outside is something that's, that's easy. You know, it, it's almost like a baseball movie. Like we talked about earlier with Kevin Costner. It's like, you know, the players, you know, the roles, you know, the scene, you know, the, the time period, you know what it takes to make it successful. And, and there's just, there's not a lot of success stories in this. Yeah. 300 kind of, kind of does, I think 300 accomplishes it like the reviled villain, you know? Um, but it's, it's just, to me, the reason I don't put 300 in the same breath is uh, 300. And it was, it was modeled after a comic book, you know? I mean, it's a, it's a classic story. Don't get me wrong. It's it, it's taken out of history, just like this one. And and by and large, three hundred is in, incredibly more historically accurate than 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 Gladiator. But um, but it it was just too for me. It was just if we're comparing the two, like I love three hundred. I think it's a great film. But it's just it was just too comic booky. Uh, it was it was, it fell it falls more in the category of like if we were having a discussion about greatest comic book movies you know, all the Avengers and the Spider-Mans and Supermans and Batmans and all that other stuff. Like, I'm like, like, I'll, I'll freaking throw 300 in there and, 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 and I'll take, I'll ride that one all the way to the top. But I, I, I same era. Yes. But I, I just think it has too much of a, too much of a modern twist to it, too comic booky to be put into this, to this, to what I'm the, the question that I'm posing right now, you guys agree with that or disagree or I mean, I disagree with part of your sentiment. I do not like the movie 300. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love Gladiator. I do not like 300. It's just, I couldn't get past. It is very comic booky. Some of that, it's based on a comic book, which is based on Greek propaganda, which is based on history. So it kind of goes through this channel of making like the 300 Spartans seem absolutely legendary when historical fact, there were not just 300 in there. There were in the thousands and it's like they weren't fighting in their underwear as a, that wasn't yeah. a thing like they weren't that macho these were like some of the most heavily armored men of ancient times who stood in this past but yeah i don't i don't think there's any comparison to gladiator in the modern era absolutely not like you have to go back 80 years to <laughs> feels Spartacus. like it. <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's a long time um yeah i mean Spartacus, I mean, yeah, Kurt, Kurt Douglas's character in Spartacus is just uh, just incredible. It's an incredible performance. It's an incredible film. Um, but I, I still, I still I like Gladiator. Also, oh. Go ahead. I also find it interesting that there was a whole uh, workout culture that was spawned off the movie 300, and yet you can't Google Gladiator workout. So right. they, uh, the Spartan workout and the, uh, the 300 was, uh, again, coming from Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, a lot of my boys. In the armed forces there. Sam, do you still got me? We're losing Justin, I think. Yeah, I still got you. Okay. Justin, you're freezing up. So, well, well, Justin's, well, Justin's coming back in, hopefully, um, here. Yeah, I think he froze up there. Justin, if you can hear us, you gotta you gotta pop back out and come back in. I think um, uh, the thing that I'll, I'll say about Troy, to Justin's point, 
um, is that I think Troy suffered from Gladiator. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think Gladiator is Gladiator, whether Troy happens before or after. I think Gladiator is Gladiator. But I think Troy suffered because it came after Gladiator. I think Troy would be a much better film had it preceded Gladiator. But Gladiator would still be Gladiator. I agree with you. I think it suffered because it had to live up to it. And it did not do that. It, it's not as good as Gladiator. It's a good movie. It's swords and sandals. And if it was before Gladiator, it would have helped kind of revive the swords and sandals genre. But because it was after it suffered, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, Justin, can you hear us? I can. I Can you guys, uh, am I still freezing here? No, you're good. You're good. So what 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 my contention was, you, you mentioned Troy and I said, I, I, I said that Troy suffered from the gladiator hangover. Like, I, I think if Troy happens before gladiator, Troy is a better film and better received. But I think gladiator is still gladiator, like gladiator happens and it's 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 it. Right. So, I think that's fair. That's a fair statement. So here's here's my next point. So we've been lauding about this film gladiator for, you know, the last couple of hours. Um, so a- as you know, I, I posed this question on Facebook. I specifically targeted my cigar industry friends. Now, a lot of friends outside of the cigar industry answered and chimed in on this post. But I simply said, hey, where does Gladiator fall in your, your list of all-time favorites, essentially, was the, the, quote, the question. Like, rank it one, two, three. One is like you hate, like you hate it. You know, five is like it's in my top, my top five films or whatever. Um, and, um, and there were surprisingly a number of people – that had it listed as one and two people in particular, one who happens to be my partner, Cigar Coop on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, big supporter of my show, big supporter of me, uh, great partner and everything. But he puts this movie as one. Another one in cigar media is Eric Gatormson of Cigar Dojo, who said that he fell asleep during it. Yeah. To which I quipped. Yeah, it's really it really is a snooze fest, especially when a tiger's jumping on a guy's back and you're, you know, you're fighting, you know, fighting for your life. But yeah, I, I kind of fell asleep during that. I kind of nodded off too. Like I look, if you don't like this film, that's fine. I don't understand how you could be bored during this film. Right. Like Obviously, we're incredibly biased. We all, all three of us really love it. And I picked you guys specifically out of these comments. So I wanted, I wanted to bring two, indiv- I wanted to bring two other individuals on this show with me to talk about this film. And both of you guys had it listed as the five, the highest rating that you could give. And I picked you guys for two different reasons. Sam, I, I, I knew that you were younger. So I didn't know how old you were when you, the film came out, but I knew you were younger. And Justin, I know you're closer to my age. So I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to test this generational gap a little bit. And examine the film for what it is. And I'm glad that we've done this. This has really been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have had some good fun too. But I mean, are, I mean, we're not crazy, guys. I mean, like, how how could you fall asleep during this film? Like, any thoughts? Like, you can't. It's it's and I love Eric, but uh, I I think he was uh, he was just trying to be funny in that, and I think he was kind of <laughs> playing up to like being a little controversial because. <laughs> There is a difference between not liking something and falling asleep in something. And there's no way you could fall asleep in this movie. There, you, could, you could easily, I'm sure somebody could articulate, which I would fundamentally disagree with him, that it wasn't a good film and, 
whatever their bullshit merits were for it and this and that. However they were wrong, that's fine. (laughs) However they were wrong, that's fine. But falling asleep is is, boring. Like there's no, you can't, that's, it's, it's uncomprehendable. It's just, no, that doesn't happen. So I'm, I, I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that Eric was full of shit on that specific comment. So it doesn't have to be your favorite movie. It doesn't have to be your number one. Uh, I would I would challenge anybody if it's not in somebody's, you know, top 10 at least. Yeah. But to fall asleep, no. Nah. Yeah, I, yeah I, I simply don't get it. Yeah, Sam, your thoughts? <laughs> I, I don't understand it at all, man. Like, you jump right into it. It's just this massive battle where Maximus is like, unleash hell. And then the fall of Maximus kind of into this depression and then into the gladiator arena. It's like, how in the world do you fall asleep in that? I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I like you fall asleep yeah. and like, I'm gonna take a shot at Star Wars here, like the prequels and the Senate games. <laughs> yeah, I get that, but but come on, that's not in this movie. There's no like a long sustained period of like oh boring dialogue. Is no, it's just it's nonstop action and plot development with like even in the like the biggest gap of the film where there's not a fight. It's like they're planning a coup. yeah the great the greatest empire in the history of the world yeah 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 this is boring shit (laughs) like so you mentioned like the unleash hell and like i mean i mean honestly like this is my last question on this like um so let's let's talk about okay let's let's have a little fun with this though like i i I do examine this and i i have to ask this question because I, i think it has some merit but I think it builds the film appropriately, but I'm, I'm going to get your thoughts. Do you, okay. So the, the, as Sam just said, the, the, the movie kicks off with this amazing battle scene, which, you know, like the, the Germanic tribe that just goes down, you know, like throwing the head of the, the, you know, the, the Roman soldier into the middle of the battlefield to kind of kick, you know, there's a kickoff for this film and just like, okay, like, here we go. And then like, yes, hell is unleashed, like flying catapults of like fiery, rocker just exploding against like the black forest of germany like it's just oh i mean it's just epic there's a war dog in the middle of this maximus is leading the cavalry like i mean there's a guy and I'm, you know I'm picking a shot at myself here dressed up as a bear who gets like annihilated you know in the middle of this battle and like it's just an epic way to start a film but here's the question gentlemen do you do you feel that the fight scenes get progressively less exciting as the film goes on. Go ahead, Justin. No, I, I mean, yeah, I've, I, we're, we're, we were heading down the same path there. I think that it, the only, if I were to pick kind of nitpick a little bit of the film is it did, it, it reached such a high point so early on and and it became again i i i don't think the the screenplay and the narrative lended itself to more of that but it did the fight seems because they're in a different arena it's a different you know it's the movie evolved throughout that that process um but yeah the way the movie started from the first time i saw it like you would thought it was going to be this like this battle driven you know these amazing fight scenes and i feel like it did kind of tell off a little bit mm-hmm. No less yeah. impactful, but I think, yeah. Sam, your thoughts. So in terms of just raw excitement, 
I think it starts out at a really high point in the, the battle in Germany. And then I think it peaks it, and it's exciting when he's in the gladiatorial arena in Africa. And then it kind of peaks at the battle of Carthage in terms yes. of excitement to me. And then it does kind of tail off just with the sole category being excitement, but also the fights become more meaningful to the plot than those initial fights were. Right. Like the battle of Carthage is extremely exciting. It's like, yes, for the plots, like they were supposed to die there and lose, but in the next fight, he defies the emperor by not killing the undefeated champion. And then in the next fight, he kills Commodus. It's like they become more and more meaningful as it goes on, but they do become slightly less just cinematically exciting, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that I, I, I can see the 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 that that point to it. Like they they do they 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 lose they lose that 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 gravitational pull, if you will. Um, but I, like you said, they, they lend so well to the plot. Like there, there's so many scenes and we're going to get to favorite scene here in a second. We have one more fun category, but like, like there, every time one of those battles, those battles or, or matches kicks off, like it's, it's must watch TV. Like if that shit's on TNT and like Tiger Seagal comes rolling into the, the, you know, the Coliseum on the chair, you're like, fuck it. I got to watch this. I got to, I, I got to watch him like throw a shield in this guy's like ironclad face mask and then stab him in the foot with his own battle axe. I mean, while, uh, Oh, by the way, while a tiger's on top of me, you know, dying its last breath, he's just trying to maul me to death. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm, 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 I'm hooked. I'm hooked every time I'm hooked. Every time he pulls a, he pulls out a sword, like every single time, like it doesn't matter if it's less exciting. And I think, you know, we, we talked about Jason Isaacs in uh, The Patriot earlier, but what a great one-two punch in the terms of cinema in the year 2000 of like arch villains dying by a fucking dagger to the throat. Like that's, this, this is, this is a great one-two punch. Like Jason Isaacs going down Mel Gibson just with a, you know, a bayonet that's like rusted out and on fire practically in the middle of a battlefield and he stabs him through the throat. And then, yeah, I'm going to end, I'm going to end this Roman emperor's reign by just like taking his own knife. And even though I'm like, you know, dying a slow and painful death, you know, with a, with his, that dagger, that same dagger that, that, that kills, you know, kills Maximus. You know, he he turns around, and kills him with it. I mean, it's it's oh, it's 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 Shakespearean at its best. It's it's just awesome. All right, so last question in this one, and then we'll get into nitpicks. Justin mentioned one all this already a second ago. So, I the answer is yeah, I'm answering for everyone on this. We would all follow Maximus into the gates of hell. Like, there's like like no I doubt the guy would ask me to do something. I I mean I I. I'd, I'd take on Mike Tyson for Maximus, man. I would just do it. Mike, like prime Mike Tyson, not Mike Tyson now. I would fight Mike Tyson, <laughs> like, like pre ear biting, like late eighties, like he iron, iron Mike, who would just like put you to sleep. I would take him on if Maximus asked me to do it. Like I would follow him to the gates of hell. I, iron Mike's looking pretty good these days, man. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I could take him on now, but you're right. I would, I would, uh, Maximus could, uh, could inspire, I guess, no fear. Oh, if he tells me to run through a brick wall, I'm I'm starting to sprint before he finishes the sentence. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
I, I think, you know, you know, we're, we're all fortunate to work with some really great people and work in some great organizations with some really great leaders. And, and, and I, and I think that what, what Maximus exemplifies in this film, and we already talked about his stature, right? He, like, just in that opening scene when he's, like, riding through the trench and he's also, like, walking and talking to some of his men and, like, they all stand up when he walks by. And even after the battle's complete, Marcus Aurelius says, he's like, hey, they honor you, Caesar. He's like, no, Maximus, they honor you. And when he raises his sword and, like, the just the roar of his army and, um, like, it... He's just this in, this incredible leader, and like even later on, like after the battle, and they're in the tent with the politicians, and the politician, the senator, um, you know, uh, Falco a- asks him, "Where do you stand, general? You know, emperor, or senate?" And he says, uh, "Well, the the soldier has the benefit uh, of looking his enemy in the eye. Like he, he's he's human. He's very, you know, he's he, and he he's 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 very." It's, it's not even likable. He's lovable. Like you, you love this man, you love this character and you, you would follow him anywhere. I mean, for Russell Crowe to be able to portray that and capture you that way so quickly is a, is a testament to how great the script is, how great it was shot. And of course his acting performance. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. So this is another fun category, guys, and then we'll go into favorite scenes uh, to kind of close this out. But um, this is something fun. So biggest nitpick in the film. So so I, I'll kick us off. J- Justin already mentioned one. Okay. But we all talked about how Commodus is like the most vile piece of shit like ever and like has no qualm. Like first 15 minutes, like kills his dad. And beat, you know, NDB, no big deal. Like, like just kills his father after his father's like begging him for forgiveness is like his father is like ultimately doing the ultimate sacrifice he's giving rome back to the people he's asking his son who he knows he's been a shitty dad and he says you know your failure as a son is because of my shortcomings as a father like you have nothing to be sorry for this is all my fault and then he freaking kills him like i mean just ruthless human being right so he asks Maximus for his loyalty for a second time in the, this already in the short film. Maximus doesn't give it to him. And then, so he tells Quintus to go kill him. Why doesn't Commodus just kill him in the fucking tent? Right. He has no qualms about killing his dad, suffocating right. him against his own stomach. Why doesn't he kill him in the tent? Second part of this is why in the holy fuck did no one actually check to see that the assassins came back from doing the deed? It's the worst part of this film because it's like, wait. And because like later we see him in the arena, he's like, my, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius and Quintus is like shocked to holy hell. Like, dude, you, you piece of like, dude, you piece of shit. You knew, you, you knew he was alive, man. Right. Like you knew this was going right. to happen. It's freaking Maximus. Think he's just gonna go off in the sunset and just die? No. You took the words right out of my mouth. That was to me, that was the biggest miss right there. Is when Quintus is looking shocked, and I'm like, motherfucker, of all people that should not be shocked, it's you. Like, did did anybody just wake up the next day and go, none of the guards came back? None of none of these guys came back. Uh yeah, so that that was a that was a big miss in the in the film's part. Uh, That's how expendable they were. Oh, like we're gonna send these five guys and 
Oh, yeah. who gives a shit if they come back or not? Well, like, <laughs> perhaps they, uh, perhaps they, you know, starved on the trail back, or maybe, you know, perhaps <laughs> they cold. were eating. It was cold, and they couldn't kill know. their game. The frost, the frost <laughs> makes the blade stick. So they couldn't yeah. kill. They couldn't yeah. kill an animal to eat. So they starved to death in the wilderness. Yeah, winter right? was upon us, and like, yeah, that was the that was the big miss on the film to me. That that <laughs> those those two scenes. Like, yeah. I think it would have been. I think it would have served well if like Quintus. All Quintus had to do is just like the face palm. Like shit, I knew this was coming. Right, like damn yeah, it. Yeah, it it would have. It would have been better had you saw Quintus's face go, like I lied, and now it's coming back to bite me. Yeah, and that would have been much better. How does Quintus survive that, right? Commodus is fucking killing everybody. Like, how does he survive, right? <laughs> like, Dude, Sam's over here, like, yes, like yeah. dude, we're taking the, we're taking Sam's thunder here. Sam, I'll let you chime in here. Like everyone in the movie dies, and Quintus makes like stupid decision after stupid decision, and he actually survives the movie. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, yeah. yes, he sides with the emperor over the general he served for years at the front lines with and whom he loves. Okay, stupid. Sends his guards out to ex- execute him. Guards don't come back. Maximus clearly survived. Oh, yes, he's dead. He's dead. Emperor, <laughs> the job is done. And then, and then at the end, it, then he's surprised that Maximus is alive. It's like, why are you surprised by this? And then at the very end, like in the final fight scene, Commodus yells at him, give me a sword, give me a sword. And Quintus tells his men to sheathe their swords. It's like, you're betting your life again because if Commodus wins, you're a dead man. Yeah. Like, you're betting on the guy that you watched the Emperor stab, who's kind of delusionally walking around the arena at this point. And this guy survives the film? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's such a good point. It's like, how? But that's not my biggest nitpick with the film, ironically. Okay, what is the biggest nitpick? I'm a big history guy, and this this movie is like this mishmash of real historical figures and then stuff that's completely made up. It's like Marcus Aurelius, real Roman emperor. Commodus, real Roman emperor, his actual son. Both of them really portray who they were in history. Yeah, because Commodus would actually gla- was actually a gladiator. He would go into the Colosseum and fight. Yeah, He actually fought in the Colosseum. He did not die in the Colosseum. He was strangled in the bath. Yes. <laughs> Which is a very commonest way to die, in my opinion. By, by a wrestler named Narcissus, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Strangled in the bath by a wrestler. Named Narcissus. That yes. would have been great. <laughs> yeah, Maximus strangles Commodus in the bath. That, that would have been a great final scene. Yes, absolutely. Um, you're, you're absolutely right, Sam. There's a lot of... There's a lot of wrong historical accuracy. So Marcus Aurelius and Commodus actually ruled together co-emperors for a number of years in the final years of Marcus Aurelius's failing health. And, and then Commodus took over for a couple of years, 12 years after that, I think, before he was finally assassinated by Narcissus. Um, just to go back to Quintus one more time, because we got to pick on this guy a little bit more. Um, so yeah, Sam brings up a great point. Gambles again on the basically the losing side. Like, okay, he saw him like, and he's like Maximus is dying. I'm gonna like bet on him. But like even the seat, the two seconds before when they're teeing up the fight, Quintus still doesn't give Maximus the sword. He like chucks it halfway across the Colosseum to go get it, and to to put him at a further disadvantage. I'm like, dude, you are the biggest dick in the world. Like give the guy a sword, something, man, like a shield or something, a dagger. 
if this guy was your hero for years on the front lines and this is how you're going to treat him? Right. Oh. And then two minutes later, you're going to bet on him by not giving the Emperor's sword? It's like you're, you're a dead man either way. Was... So what the scene that we don't see is after they carry Maximus out of the arena, like Maximus's gladiators probably just like strangle Quintus and like an angry mob just like just like you. That is the one scene that's missing. Is Quintus <laughs> should have had some like justification. Something should have happened. To, yeah. to... That redemption is not enough. I'm sorry, Quintus. You're going down, buddy. <laughs> All right, guys. La- last two questions are one related to the film and then our, our curveball segment to close out the show. So uh, got to go back to we were talking about all the battle scenes. We've quoted this film throughout tonight. Great characters. Great film. Um, what's your what's your all time favorite scene? Like your all time favorite scene. I have a couple I picked. I'm going to go last again. I want to do the honors. I want to give you guys the honors. So, Justin, uh, you were last to show up tonight, man. Thank you so much again, dude. Traveling halfway across the country. Your first location is not even available. You sprint home to, to sit a, and on a Zoom with us and chat about this amazing film. Uh, man, what's your, what's your favorite scene? What is it? Uh, like you, I've, I've got a few. So again, you know, the, the last scene uh, where the little figurines are getting, you know, getting buried there and, and our boys saying, you know, not yet, not yet. That's, that's an impactful scene to me. Uh, again, uh, when Maximus is, you know, is, is in the ring taking his last couple breaths and, 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 you know, communicating his last things of direction there. That, that was a big scene. Um, those are more of the positive scenes for me. I think from a, from a emotional standpoint, on a more of a heartbreaking negative thing is when he's, you know, he returns home uh, to, to, to see his wife uh, and, and her ultimate uh, fate there and, and to see the, the burning ground. And that, you know, that was something that, that was, again, not like the other two scenes I mentioned, but that was something that I think was, was really well-written and, and impactful. And then I think ultimately if I, if I had to pick my favorite scene um it's when and i can't even i can't even comprehend being in this scenario but when he's sitting there being told that his his son you know cried like a like a girl at the end or whatever the the exact line was and and that your wife moaned like a whore for him to have the strength to sit there and and not do exactly what what uh what they were expecting him to do and to just let emotion override all of his logic, but for him to have the discipline and the, the fortitude to go, this is not the time that I'm going to exact my revenge. Like to me, that's probably my favorite scene of the movie. That, that scene, I think actually points this film. It's a great pick, Justin, because I think it points this film into like, everyone talks about this just being a venge- vengeance film. And I think this proves like that, yes, it's about vengeance in a sense. It's about justice, but it, it's also about stripping Commodus of absolutely everything. Right. Because even Commodus eggs him on. He says, he's like, I only have one more life to take. He's like, well, then take it now. And he doesn't do it. He continues to defy him, even when he's asking for death. And he is going to strip him of everything. He is going to bring him down to his level 
by continuing to defy him more and more. And it is, I, I, I think that, like you said, that is a really impactful scene. Um, the, yeah, where he arrives at his homestead with his son and wife crucified on his own house, like burned, like just, I mean, I, I've, I've like ugly cried twice in my life uh, in a film. That's one of the scenes. The other one is John, Tom Hanks's Captain John Miller on the bridge and saving Private Ryan dying. Those two scenes, I'm ugly crying almost every time still. I cried earlier this week when I watched this film again. Yeah. Just, yeah. and it's even more meaningful now. I have kids. So it's like, and I'm, I have a wife and I'm like, oh God, like, yeah. It's it's rough. I mean, it is. I mean, it is raw. It cuts you to the core. It's real. Um, and people are like, people, you know, have criticized this. Like, well, you know, you don't actually see them. You, you know, you only see like their feet and stuff. And it's like you don't need to, man. You don't need to. See, like, you know, Sam was talking right. a little bit about this show. He was watching this with his wife, and his wife was saying how gory it was. And like, you didn't need to see that much gore. You didn't need to see that right. X-rated visual to understand the pain and anguish that was going on in that moment like um yeah great great impactful scene picks absolutely sam what, what are your choice those were phenomenal i think the first one i'm going to go with i got two which i mean those in terms of impact are hard to beat but the the second time he fights as a gladiator when he comes in in north africa for the second time and just mows down like six guys throws his sword and then says, are you not entertained? <laughs> yes. It's like, it's the highlight on this absolutely brutal form of entertainment that the Romans had. It's like, you were having guys fight to the death in front of you and you were cheering people on. It's like, how gory and brutal is that? Like, I understand it was 2000 years ago, but like, good Lord, man, you see why Marcus Aurelius banned the sport. Brutal. And he's calling out the crowd about this. It's like, I just killed six men and you're cheering. It's like, that's horrifying. And then my absolute favorite scene in the film is the Battle of Carthage. And then the aftermath when Maximus gives his little speech of, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Phoenix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife and i will have my vengeance and just seeing like the look on Commodus's face of horror that what he did is coming back to haunt him now it's like like you got what was coming bro yeah <laughs> absolutely I, I i still hearken back to the like the, the 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 teenage me on like my favorite scenes like I'm still, like I said, I'm still captivated by each of these, each of these battle scenes, like each of these mm-hmm. fight scenes, and like they're just must watch. Like every time they come on, like it's just, it's just much watch. Like I think if we could, if we could nitpick a little bit further, just to go back to a previous thing, like I think the one scene, a couple scenes that you could c- cut, a lot of the, a lot of the like the cuts to the him like walking through the wheat field, like there were probably a couple of those you could probably get rid of. <laughs> uh maybe a little too much ridley scott but you know what you'll you wanted to you wanted to drag it out we get it it's heaven he's going there it's awesome he's going to see his family again that's fantastic um but but every battle scene is just so 
captivating. Um, I the opening battle scene is just. I mean, that's the way you start a film. I mean, that right. is. I mean, that's that's up there. I mean, that is the Super Bowl right off the bat. I mean, they. I mean, they. I mean, Ridley Scott goes totally NASCAR. He goes Daytona 500, like right out the gate, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, the rest of the season." <laughs> like, yeah, here we go. Like, this is this is. Uh, I mean, this is the way you start a film. But I, I think you know, you know, the the first Gladiator scene is uh, when he's 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 yellow. And Jaiman Hansu is red, and their partner they're chained together. And like as they're as they're waiting for to go into the arena, I got to note this real quick because like the guy in front of him who's chained to uh, Ralph Mahler's uh, character, um, I, I forgot the the German's name, but uh, uh, who doesn't like him, and then ultimately becomes like this loyal guy to him, which is really cool. But the guy who's chained to him is like peeing himself, and like. I've heard two different perspectives of this. Like people say that Russell, Russell uh, Maximus's character looks at like this guy in front of him peeing himself and takes that step back. To me, I was thinking like from a soldier strategic standpoint, I don't want to be as far away from this guy as possible. But like people were like saying like, oh, this was disgust. Like he was so disgusted by this man. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, but when he immediately turns it on, when he gets in there, when he gets into the arena, like it's just it's just crazy. Like he goes from zero, like I'm not gonna fight, you know, the German and like the the gladiator combine that they have before, to now like I'm just like gonna just take on seven guys by myself and like it's just it's awesome. But for me, the Battle of Carthage, the first scene in the Colosseum, is probably my favorite scene like throughout the film. Um, it takes every all the battle the gladiator scenes before it, and it it trumps everything after that. But that's kind of like the apex right there. Like it's just like the chariots and like, you know, like iron cladded women shooting arrows at them. And then the, the wheels with the blades and like, he's, he's back in his, he's back in his element. And he says, you know, how many of you have served in the army? And one of the guys is like, I served with you at Ventavona. Like, Oh shit. Like you like, and like no emotion, like, no, like, I'm sorry. You're here. It's like, no, Hey, you can help me. All right. Let's, let's we're, we're, and this is another credit to Maximus's humanality right? Maximus, who like Commodus even says later, the Maximus, the, the fierce who knows no fear. Maximus is scared in this moment. Like he doesn't know what's going to come out of these gates. Like he's kind of nervous. He's like, I'm here. I'm here in front of the emperor. Like I got to win because I got to extract my revenge. And like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen here. He's like, guys, we need to work together and we'll survive. We survive if we work together. Not even winning. He's not even thinking about that. He wants to survive. And he pulls this, this band of gladiators together in a moment, in a moment's notice, and gets them to execute like flawless military execution, which some critics may like nitpick at it. I don't care. It's fucking awesome. It's great. <laughs> um, it is like for the, I think it's like a seven minute scene. You're just like, you're glued to your, you're glued to your phone, your laptop, your iPad, your TV. Um, in the, in the theater, it was ever, it was so awesome. Uh, have you guys seen this in the theater? I have not. I want oh, to. I, I yeah, they, in the heartbeat. yeah, they need to bring this back. This would be great in the heartbeat. So Battle of Carthage for me is just, is just awesome. So I, I, I think that's my favorite scene. So. Awesome. Gentlemen, um, thank you so much 
Um, thank you so much for doing this. I got one last question to close out our night, but I, I, I take this time of night to say like, guys, it's, it's, it's 1230 at night for me and Sam. It's 1.30 in the morning, Justin. You're exhausted. You've been doing your work all week long. Um, and for you guys to sit down with me this late on a Sunday evening when you guys should be with your families or Justin, God bless you, you should be asleep. It really means the world to me for you guys to take the time out and, and sit down with me and have a little fun. Talk about this film that we both love. Chat a little bit about cigars too, but it, it just means the world to me. So thank you. Thank you both. Hey, thank you for having us, man. This is, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Sam, it's been great chatting with you too, man. This is cool to get some, some insight and, uh, and be able to hop on here with you, man. So, so it's, been uh it's been a, a great privilege to uh to kind of share our little digital screen here uh with each other yeah absolutely thank you bear for having me on uh i've been looking forward to this since you asked me to be on it's been a lot of fun um justin it's great to meet you on this and kind of share our love of what in our opinion is one of the greatest films ever um and we definitely got to have you on off the record soon but yeah, thank you, Bear. It's been a true pleasure. No matter what time of day it is, I would do this again in a heartbeat. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, there's only one way to end this uh, end this show, and that's with our curveball question. And so usually this is a little bit more funny or off the wall, or mostly like a uh, it's a it's a grapefruit. It's never really a never really a curveball, but <laughs> it's it, it's it's the question. It's the question that we have to ask ourselves as much as we love this film. And I, I want to know if any of us is arrogant, to, arrogant enough to say, because I'm certainly not going to be, because I'm participating as well. But who are you in this film? Who, which character are you in this film? And I want to know if anyone's arrogant enough to say it. I'm not going to say Maximus, but if you guys, I'm not going to steal anyone's thunder. I just want to see if anyone does it. But if not, which character are you? Wow, that's a really good question. It is. I like hesitate to say it, but I think I'm I'm a little like when I, if I'm being honest, which it's one thirty six here uh, on the East Coast, um, and yeah, it's been it's been a long day, Bear. So. Uh, I couldn't have as much to drink on the plane as I normally would because I had to, uh, I had to drive <laughs> back. Um, but I saw there was some, there was a few, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say as like a, as a whole, as a, as a character, but there were a few scenes that Proximo would say something or respond to something. And I'm like, ah, uh, that's, that's some shit I would have said in that moment. You know what I mean? Like that's, there's, there's some, there's some things. And, 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 and again, I hope this, this, this doesn't come off in the wrong way, but like the way he was able to, to get Maximus to, to kind of elevate his thinking, like, Hey, it's not just about winning. It's about putting on a show. And when you win the crowd, you'll win your freedom. I've had some similar experiences with people that were incredibly successful on one level. And they were coming to me asking like, you know, this is where, and I would ask them, well, where do you want to be? This is what I want. And it's like, well, it's not about this. Like, yeah, well, everything you're doing is correct. But if you really want to get to this end result faster, here's, so that was, that was one of the things in the movie that I was like, you know what? I, maybe I've got a little proximal in me. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this is a great question, man. I'm struggling. 
I mean, part of me wants to say Proximo and, and kind of elevating those around you, even though I'm kind of the young guy in the room a lot of times. It's like, no, we need to be better than that. This is, it's not just about surviving and in this example, killing people, but putting on a show and doing it in a way that would win you your freedom. Like there's an end goal to this thing. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I'm around, if I'm in this film and I'm around Maximus, I mean, I'm going to be a Juba. I'm going to be a giant yeah, Hansi, baby. Yeah. Cicero is his, his aide. Yeah, Tommy Flanagan, a young Tommy Flanagan, sons of yeah. anarchy, Tommy Flanagan. Fucking great role. Yeah. I mean, if that role, it's like you see a charismatic figure like this, you can't help but follow him. I think in that instance, I'm a, I'm a Juba. <laughs> nice. I think we all, it's obvious that we all kind of gravitate around me. He's one of my, he's my favorite, one of my favorite roles other than Maximus. And, and I, I, I have to say Proximo too, Justin, I'm with you. I mean, if nothing else, we get to grab some guy's nuts and ask for a refund. I mean, it's right, just awesome. Right. right? <laughs> um, you know, um, but I, I, one of the lines that kind of go back to me, he's it's, it's in one of the final scenes with Oliver Reed and, and, and Max and Russell Crowe, and they're going back and forth and Russell Crowe's talking to him about how he's going to get paid so that Maximus can be free. And so Maximus can, he's like, well, Hey, I can, he's like, I will kill Thomas. He's like, why would I want that? He makes me rich. And that's not the most endearing. It's a quality. Fair, it's, a, it's a fair, fair thing to say. Yeah. It's a fair point. And then it's, it's you know, it's not necessarily fair for you and I to romanticize him necessarily and, and want to be him, but where, um, but what I will say to that, he obviously redeems himself in this version of the script. I already told you guys about the alternate ending, but in this version of the story, the version of the story that we know and we love and we watched, um, he's a redeeming character. Um, even in his last, his last breath of, you know, his last breath is, you know, Russell Crowe says, him, well, you're in danger of becoming a good man. He's like, <laughs> and he leaves. Um, but, it's in that scene where he's having the discussion with him. He's like, well, he makes me a rich man. He's like, he, and then um, Maximus asks him, he's like, do you remember what it was like to have trust? And he's like, trust. And he's just perplexed by the, even the thought of it. And, and you can see that Maximus actually finally gets to his soul. And, but he, at the same time, he's still Proximo is very, is a, I, I consider myself a flawed individual and Proximo is a very flawed character. And, and uh, he says, you know what? You have honor dignity but me i'm an entertainer and to me that that rang true for me because you know gentlemen i i i have the privilege of talking with great gentlemen like the two of you each and every week and i get to entertain my audience and myself you know every week because i get to talk to great people like you and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's that was the moment for me that I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Proximo, for for better or worse, flawed individual. Hopefully, have redeeming qualities to myself. Um, but that 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 to me was the ring that rang true. So, um, but uh, I also feel bad that I would send Sam into battle uh, since apparently he's Jaiman Hansu. So <laughs> I feel terrible about. That. So maybe that does speak to my humanity. So. Um, but I, I really do appreciate you guys uh, so much for, for being on with me tonight. It looks like uh, Justin's uh, internet went out one last time, but a perfect timing uh, as this is the end of the show. I do want to thank all of our audience for tuning in, for all your likes, shares, and comments on our Facebook feed. 
Uh, make sure to check out our Facebook uh, page for all of our upcoming guests. We have some great takes on the horizon, including our 150th coming in December. Uh, Nick Perdomo will be coming on. That is confirmed. Nick Perdomo will be my 150th take. Um, but before that, we're actually having some really great guests as well. Um, Alan Rubin, Danny Vasquez, Alec and Bradley Rubin is all also will be making an appearance on the next couple of takes as well. So tune in to, uh, to uh, Facebook for all of our upcoming guests. If you are checking us out on Facebook Live, you could also check us out on YouTube, El Oso Fumar page. Don't forget to like, download, subscribe, and review. If you are listening to podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, Please download, subscribe, review. If you already are a subscriber, please unsubscribe, but please don't forget to resubscribe because that helps my numbers and that helps me continue to get people like Sam and Justin on the show. So I definitely want you to keep doing that. But everyone out there, it's late. We appreciate you. Remember everyone, what we do in life echoes in eternity. This was our 145th take live from the HF Barcelona studios of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy. Guess what, everyone? We'll see you next time. Bye.